Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand the face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. The foulest stench is in the air. The funk of 40,000 years and grisly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your survival may not last, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of Attack of the Killer Podcast. <laughs> that was actually, that was really good. Attention Thank you. and ghouls and welcome to our second part of our three-part halloween long month-long halloween specials on attack of the killer podcast and this haunting episode we will be talking about the films of one of the horror one of horror's most iconic actors vincent price that's right before we get into that you know what time it is it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew First off, first off, much like Edward Scissorhands, he doesn't know what to do with his own hands when he when, when Winona Ryder is in the room. John Sullivan, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, everybody. How's it going? After watching the movies for his show, Everything Horrible, he quotes the Raven, Nevermore. Dustin Neal, everybody. Just like the pit and the pendulum, she swings both ways. Terry Turford, everybody. (laughs) 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 She laughed pretty hard on that one. It was clever. I'm not going to validate that or deny it. You laughed, did. It's okay. (laughs) I'm just collecting my thoughts. Okay, when. When the Tingler was in theaters, there were seats that were hooked to wires that would electrically shock your butt. And this next podcaster saw the movie 115 times because he loved the cinematography. Jason Bollinger. Hey, it was shot really well, I promise. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's really why. Mm-hmm. Okay, how's everybody doing? Good, how are you? Good kind of sweaty yeah got the meat sweats right now we just got to eat tacos <laughs> yeah we did <laughs> yeah. tacos yeah that's right taco night jealous taco night that's right you Should know mike be. i'm really surprised that you didn't um use the tingler for my intro i was just waiting <laughs> for that <laughs> yeah it could have really went that way too yeah yeah damn it <laughs> I told Jason, because he saw me struggling to write intros uh, while we were eating tacos, and <laughs> and I told him, like, like, my goal is to, like, to always give you the most inappropriate uh, introduction, so. I'm honored. 
<laughs> you should I'm be. Embarrassed, but honored. You say that now. Wait till I really cross the line. <laughs> <clears throat> it'll take a it'll, take, it'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're talking Vincent Price movies tonight. Um, yeah, we did some power watching. Uh, the podcast crew, uh, so we're probably going to stick with a few of them. I mean, any of you guys have any that you want to talk about that weren't on that list? Feel free, man. It's it's totally open. Um, I I think we should maybe touch base on certain things like his you know performance in Edward Scissorhands, maybe stuff like that. But uh, <coughs> but um, we did have a list of some uh, films. One of which is probably one of one of my. It definitely falls into the category of at least within maybe my top fifty films of all time. I don't know. I really got to sit down and make out a list of like top one hundred, top fifty, or something. But I know it's up there, and it's definitely a film that has inspired my own filmmaking for sure, and is based off of one of my favorite stories of all time, um, "Last Man on Earth." Yay. Which was based off of I Am Legend, which was the in, uh, and Last Man on Earth in particular was also an inspiration for Night of the Living Dead. Um, George Romero has quoted that before, but Last Man on Earth. Um, who wants to give us a brief synopsis about it? Synapses, synapsical. Um, I'll do it since great talking. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you just be quiet long enough, and somebody will go. How's this? It is like the Will Smith I Am Legend movie, only a million times Okay. <laughs> no. You're, oh, all right, all right, Let all right. finish. Oh, my gosh. I got really offended there. But you said a million times better, so you redeemed it. Well, if you remember a while back, I did that book as one of my segments, and I had yet to see this version of that story. Oh, and let true. me tell you, it's so much better. Oh my god, so. Do much you better. feel? Have you seen? Um, <clears throat> okay, Omega so now you've seen Man? I Am Legend. Yeah, have you seen Omega Man? No, Probably not. Because I still have never seen Omega Man. Um, could never find it anywhere. What? Uh, but synapse, which is not the correct word, but that's what you said. Um, what? So Vincent Price. Is I don't what is his name? Robert Morgan. Robert Morgan, thank you. He is the last man on earth. There was this plague that has wiped out everybody, and he's all alone. Um, but then we find out that they're actually vampire-like creatures, and he he hides away in his house with garlic on the door and mirrors on the door, and at night they come out to try and get him. Um, yeah, I don't... Is that is that close? I mean, or should I give away the end? That's pretty much most of the movie. <laughs> Do you feel, Terry, that the movie is, is, the, is a much closer adaptation to I Am Legend than the movie I Am Legend? Um, yeah. Crazy. It's and it's so much closer than that. Uh, they don't weren't even vampires in I Am Legend. And with that said, do you also feel that um, the movie um, Turner and Hooch is a closer adaptation to I Am Legend than I Am Legend? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no. 
No. Oh, okay. I don't. <clears throat> that was a trick question. I think it was. I think you're right. I uh, I disagree because <laughs> I think they strayed so far from last action hero was closer adaptation. Than... Okay, <laughs> so um, so with with a uh, with comparing it to I Am Legend, was you um, what kind of liberties did they take in um, Last Man on Earth versus the book? Honestly, it was a pretty solid adaptation. I mean, it's been several months since I've read it, but it all seemed to line up the way that I remember it in the book. There wasn't See, really a lot that I that seemed different. I've always felt so too, and I've always wondered why they they never just called this movie "I Am Legend." Right. I mean, yeah. it gives credit to the book in the credits. It's not like I don't know. I don't know why they didn't do that. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe some rights issues or whatever. Yeah. I don't know when I Am Legend was written, but I'm assuming probably closer around the same time. Because yeah. the movie was 1964, so. I'm on it. Give me a second. I'll figure that out. Talk to someone else. <laughs> but the, the script was actually written by Richard Matheson, too, so. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, that's, that's what trivia says on IMDb. So you would think, you would think, I don't know, I don't know why they wouldn't call it that. But if it helps to re remind you uh, the character's name in, in um, Last Man on Earth, I completely stole the name for our movie Collapse. Our lead, oh. our lead ah. actor's name is uh, Robert Morgan in the movie. That is awesome. Yeah. So much so I forgot, like, I did that. Um... I, when I wrote the, I think the original draft, and I'm horrible at coming up with names for my characters. True. Don't say any. Don't. Uh, but I, uh, I, I think I was working in the office like a couple weeks before shooting, and I had this epiphany. I'm like, oh, holy, holy shit! And like I'm reworking the script and another draft. And I'm like, holy shit! I didn't just, you know, have hints at the name. I literally stole the name from Last Man on Earth, and I went to the producer. And I'm like. Should I change it? Should I change it? And he's like, no. <laughs> Alright, the the book was originally released in 1954. And the movie was in 64. Oh. So there was about a 10 year gap. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it was that old of a story. Oh, okay. That's cool. So, Dustin, what do you think? What did you think of Last Man on Earth? I, I thought it was pretty neat. Um, you know, I was just... I'm trying not to have all these meld together because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I literally, that's the, all I did yesterday. As soon as I woke up, it was pretty much just watch Vincent Price movies. Um, but yeah, that this one, a good day. it was, it was a very good day. <laughs> this one, this one definitely did stick out. Um, I'm a sucker for anything that's like post apocalyptic, you know, you know, yeah. last, last guy. And I love all the stuff. Um, that uh, that you see in his house, that he's you know, you know like his his canned food and his mm -hmm. his generator. I love I love yeah. all that stuff, and, and I kind of wish in you know, I, I wish it was in color because I wanted to see everything in detail. Um, yeah. You know, like that was in his house because that's what for me really makes it stand out and makes it real. 
Um, mm-hmm. and to me, when it's when it's in black and white, it's hard harder for me to distinguish what he's got. You know, just laying around. <laughs> like I think uh, there's just one scene where he's talking to that girl in his in that living room, and I was just looking. You can you can see everything that's in there, and I seen you know like a like his lathe, obviously, and his he had like a um, he, like a a welder. And you know, of course, his maps and stuff, and that to, that to me, when you have like that much detail, I think that's really really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really neat movie. Um, it, it, with any of these movies that I watched, I felt like anytime Vincent Price was on the screen, um, he <laughs> the movie got like a hundred times better. And I didn't watch this one until near the end of my viewing. So this one was kind of like, ah, oh, good. It's just him, you know. <laughs> so he's 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 gonna be in the whole thing, and I get to hear you know his monologue and you know him talking, and this is you know. So this one was probably one of my favorites, not my most favorite, but definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm with you. I I love all the scenes that are in his house and and what he's done to his house. You know, just like the. The wires hanging hanging low from the ceiling and stuff, where he's yeah. draped cords across so they'll all run to the generator and whatnot. And my favorite moment of the whole m- m- segment of the whole movie is that first mundane five minutes of the movie, where it's just him going through his daily routine. Yeah, walks in the kitchen, marks marks another day off of the calendar. He goes into the garage. He checks the gasoline and the generator. He goes and gets gets some fresh garlic out and puts it on the on the front door and removes the old garlic. Goes into the one room and 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 starts sharpening some steaks. Then he goes in goes in the other room and like tries the CB again. It's I love that. I don't know what it is about it, but I just love that that whole thing, especially like with post apocalyptic movies and just watching this like this mundane daily routine of this guy that you know he's been doing day after day after day kind of the same thing we we go through we get up we you know we take a shower we you know we take a shit whatever brush our teeth and 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 go on with our day and and i always like seeing that in these post-apocalyptic movies just the just those moments of like the new mundane reality so john what, what do you think of last man on earth I thought it was really good, and I think that Vincent Price gave, he gave us, I mean, an excellent performance, a solid performance, because for like you guys said, you know, the beginning of the movie, it shows him going through his day-to-day things, and that's just him. You don't see anybody else in the shots with him. It's all him, and it's all about him, <clears throat> and yeah. and I and I love that. I mean, and and I mean, it's... He doesn't even really, other than you hear his voice, he's not really talking until he finally tries the, um, tries to contact people with the CB uh, over the air. But, I mean, it's, and, and you don't really, I don't, if I'm right, I don't think you really even know really, really so much what happened until they go into the flashback. And then you see what, mm-hmm. what all, what all caused, you know, caused it to, well, that you don't really see what caused it to happen, but you see, you hear what happened with everybody, and, uh, and then you find out that the one, the one that is banging on the door, hollering, Morgan, Morgan, you find out that that was actually his friend, and so, I thought that was, you know, that was good, um, 
I, I like the flashback scenes where you find out what, you know, all the stuff, how it went down. Um, so, but yeah, I, th- I, th- it was, it was good. I, I, I really, really did like it a lot better. I've never read the book, but I liked it a lot better than the Will Smith. I am legend version. I've never seen the Omega man, but I've, there's been quite a few times that I've was going to buy it. And I just didn't because I, I, I didn't know if, it, you know, what kind of, if it would be any better, uh, or it just be, or if it was, you know, close to the Will Smith one, or if it was closer to the Vincent Price one. Um, but I, but I think last man on earth compared to the Will Smith one, I like it so much better. And like I said, I think he gives a very, very well, you know, acted performance in it. I, I'd give it two thumbs up. So, yeah, that's sweet. Jason? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I love it. It's probably my favorite. Um, I love it for so many things. Like John was saying, like, who else can carry a movie by himself without even talking? But Vince Surprise himself. It's so great. He's uh, just so charismatic. And it's, I don't know, it's, I, sometimes I try to... You try to put yourself in the perspective of the time when it came out. I mean, 64, I mean, sure, there's been horror movies, but man, there was nothing like this at all. And I don't know, it was just really cool. I, the thing that, the question to refer to something you said earlier about uh, what I was surprised is that they didn't name uh, Night of the Living Dead Last Man on Earth 2. <laughs> because isn't isn't this a giant ripoff of this movie? Sorry, I'm just attacking Whatever. you and your favorite director. But I mean, I, I think I mean didn't they didn't they basically invent zombies in this movie? They called them vampires, but they're vampires in this movie. They talk, sure. you kill them with steaks. Yeah. Garlic keeps uh, them away. They're different, man. Sure, but they don't eat <laughs> flesh. They just want to kill you. How different? I'm just saying. How different? What did George really invent something new? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, oh my shit. god. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Are you telling me if George didn't do Nine Living Dead, we would have we would have zombies today? Man, they're they, they are called vampires. No, I know I know that. I watched it. I know they're called vampires, I'm just saying, but they're zombies. And you know that I don't I'm just saying. Uh what what these creatures that are called vampires in Last Man on Earth are not different very much from the called zombies in Night of the Living Dead. They're completely different, man, because in Night of the Living Dead, it doesn't matter if it's day or night. They're going to freaking attack you. They have to go in hiding in the daylight in Last Man on Earth because they're freaking vampires, man. There's a huge yeah, difference. Yeah, except for later on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're later on. <laughs> I'm just saying, when I watched it again, I'm just like, George. Now, George, whatever. George. Now, George, George openly admits he was inspired by with the with well, last I'm just, I'm just this, saying but, that is obvious. No, it's not obvious. Uh, it is? Like a, <laughs> the whole freaking movie in Night Living Dead takes place in the house. There's tons of stuff that goes on outside the house yeah, well, in Last Man on Earth. 
Yes. And it's one guy. Half of what makes Night Living Dead is so awesome is this group of people that are fighting with each other. Um, and that's their whole downfall. It's not the zombies. It's, hey. it's them bickering with each hey, other. And they can't Earth. get out of it. Last oh. Man on Earth is black and white. And so is, so is Night Living Dead. So oh, it's basically well, then, the same thing. Well, then you could say that... <laughs> You could say that Citizen Kane's the same thing as Last Man on Earth, and so like it's about uh, like it's okay, okay, boys, okay, okay. <laughs> no, you're just—I know you're just doing it to mess with me. You like Romero, don't you, Mike? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit of a fanboy, <laughs> a little bit. I'm just saying, his it his inspiration uh, seemed obvious. He still created a whole new monster, though, man. You cannot take that away from George Romero. Mm. We would not have what we know as zombies today if it was for Night Living Dead. I'm saying that these guys felt like zombies. You feel like a zombie. Yeah. They, I mean, they have their mannerisms I think that he may have taken a lot of the mannerisms but they're definitely meant to be vampires yeah because That's you don't like, see them you don't see them during the day they hide during the day and then come out at right. night so they're night zombies <laughs> that's, so he just that's all he did with, that's all he did no it is not what all he did <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> anyway, so I love Last Man on Earth. It's gloomy and doomy and fucking sad and depressing and awesome. How about those scenes when with his dying daughter, man? Those tearjerkers. Depressing. Yeah. yeah, and he goes, he goes to the army trucks to get her body back. And they're like, nah. When they're when they're tossing them into the. Into the canyon. And that guy's the f- like, yeah, my daughter's in there, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, think, I think that's what makes him stop stop even looking for his daughter, because the because the, the army guy says that, I think, because he just kind of kind of walks yeah. off after that. Yeah. And I love how, in the post-apocalyptic world, that fire's still going. Like, I guess we don't know the... Yeah. F- does it, I don't think it ever says, right? Like, how far past the fall of society that, you know, where, where Vincent Price is at being the last man on Earth, but I, you would assume... Yeah, they said it, it was a few does years. Does it say? Okay, yeah. okay I couldn't remember. It's three years. And, that, yeah. and those fire pits are still going? That's some gruesome dark stuff to think about, you know, because there's, there's always, when he's going outside and stuff, there's always just, like, lingering smoke from those fire pits. I'm more impressed with the gasoline supply of this town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if they got three years and there's still plenty of gas. Well, I mean, he one. had that big tanker that I was know. just like in the middle of the road. That'll last him for quite a while. Yeah, it's for just one, one guy. Person. Yeah. Yeah, and a pit that he takes a can to every day. Well, and I mean, you can uh-huh. siphon from pretty much any you can. vehicle. You can abandoned. siphon, Terry. And a small vampire <laughs> army. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't use any of that gas. Wait, they do. Well, we don't know that until later. When well, we know that they're capable of doing things. 
Just kidding. This film's perfect. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Well, we can well, we can say it. it's definitely not perfect. There I've was... always felt. Oh, you go ahead. No, please. Oh well, I was please. just gonna. I know that was it. Dustin was commenting about the black and white. There was one thing I noticed um, that probably would not have worked in color. Um, he's running from the vampire police or whatever and he like just jumps up and hides in a bush and you can't see Mm -hmm. him in the black and white but if it was in color i don't yeah i don't well terry uh, vampires are colorblind so it's okay oh is is that is that a fact i asked once okay well so you admit they're vampires (laughs) how about that dog that was sad (laughs) oh puppy there was hope (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was kind of over go? before it started like, so. it was, it was yeah. really short in the book too I know that was one thing that was really kind of dragged out in the Will Smith one was, that he had the dog with him like the whole time yeah it was ten times more mm-hmm. sad in I Am Legend Yeah, which I think I'm yeah. the only guy who likes that movie it was alright but I like it I actually own it me too I love it I like to watch it all the time. I think it's great. <laughs> Jason's out for blood this episode, man. I'm <laughs> serious. I love that movie. I think it's great. I love the zombies in it. Who cares? But They're CGI. The best thing about the zombies in the about the zombies in it is that Mike Patton did the voices for him. So. Yeah, that's awesome. But do you like I Am Legend or Last Man on Earth better? Um, I might like I Am Legend better. I think Jason can easily separate the two because he doesn't he know the original source material. Yeah. Which you, but it's interesting to probably... hear that opinion. I mean, it's bit, yeah. I, mean... Well, I also think I Am Legend's a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make excuses for me. <laughs> 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 I fucking Somebody's like it. Somebody's got to. Oh. And mute. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> Don't mute now. It's just getting good. <laughs> I will mute when I want to. <laughs> was, it, was you cutting out, or was you doing that on purpose? I was just hitting the mute button back and forth. Uh, I figured you. Okay. I was hoping that was the case. Uh, <laughs> Do you want fries with that? You sound like you're at a drafting window. <laughs> So yeah, I Am Legend. It's pretty cool. Looks like a unanimous everybody must see. Mm-hmm. Five votes. That's what oh, he meant. Shit. Oh, oh shit. and that movie, too. And the Not other long. ones. Yeah, that's good. Damn it. I'm never going to hear the end of that. It's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. Okay. Alright. So, mo- so moving on from uh, Last Man on Earth, um, I want to get into because I, I took the most notes on this one, and like as much as I la- I love Last Man on Earth, I think my favorite Vincent Price movie of all time, and I think I always used to say Last Man on Earth, but I really think now I'm, I have to say the Abominable Doctor Fives. Freaking love this movie more and more every time I see it, and there's something new I love about it every time I see it. 
Uh, Abominable Dr. Fives from 1971. Um, I can synopsize this one because I took two pages of notes. So, <clears throat> Dr. Anton Fives. See that? Got the full name and everything. Schooled. Dr. Anton Fives, <laughs> concert musician, doctor, scientist, biblical scholar, seeks revenge after a team of surgeons fuck up his wife's surgery after a horrible car accident, which also left Fives horribly disfigured, and he uses the Old Testament as inspiration to kill the people that couldn't save his wife. I thought he was reading the box description until he said fucked up. And I'm like, there's no way they put that in there. <laughs> you don't have the Blu-ray version. Oh, yeah. that's true. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's that's uh, Doctor Fives in in a nutshell. It's a pretty big nutshell to fit Doctor Fives in it. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of Doctor Fives, Terry? I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Good um. answer. The right answer. <laughs> it was really, it was really funny. I I really enjoyed the inspectors. Yeah. <laughs> they were just they were a nice bit of comic relief thrown in there. Um, and who was the uh, the jeweler that's in it? What who was that actor? What else was he in? It was driving me crazy. The jeweler, the one that told him the one that, that it, the when the stuff was scribed in Hebrew. Yeah, the one that made the amulets or whatever. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Let me uh, look it up. You keep talking. Um, I love how it starts. It's kind of surreal and you don't know. What the I mean, fuck's going on? Yeah, it's like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah, like, this is pretty. What's, it's kind what's... of, yeah, Phantom of the Opera-ish. You have this masked character playing the organ and then he kind of backs up and you see this really weird creepy fucking clockwork band i loved those guys that was awesome yeah um the clockwork wizards dr fives the yeah. clockwork wizards um and then you have his lovely assistant um and yeah you just you, you really just have no fucking clue what's happening and um I don't even remember where. It, does it just go into the first murder after that? I'm trying to remember. It's all they go straight. At, yeah, they go into the first murder like right yeah. away, like instantly. And who was the first one? Like, what was the the, the guy with the bats? Ah, uh, oh, you like that one, don't you, Mike? I, I don't know why <laughs> I didn't mention this on the last episode with phobias. <laughs> I was trying to think of, like, when, when we did the Phobies episode, I'm like, okay, I hate bats. What movie has bats in it that has really bothered me? And I couldn't think of a single one. And then when I was re-watching Fives for this episode, I'm like, oh, man, I forgot this scene. I hate this scene. Because, yeah, those, those are big freaking bats. They're real bats crawling on a real human being while he's laying in bed. And there's bats all over this room, and you get like really close-up shots of the bats. And my favorite shot of the bat, close-up shot of the bat, is the one where he winks at him. Where I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, was that intentional? Is that like kind of like the bat saying, yeah, hey, you know, wink, wink. You know, it's coming, buddy. F that scene. <laughs> I'm just saying that, yeah, that was a scene that definitely tapped into the whole bat phobia for me. Yeah. Um. 
I don't know. It was it was strange. It was the whole religious, you know, using the the ten plagues um, as the template for these murders and. You know, it takes a while to get to that. You know, it's kind of like a standard murder mystery, but it's just a lot of fun. And it's and Vincent Price is just... I love that he doesn't... Like, he speaks, but he doesn't actually speak. He's got, like, the voice box thing that mm-hmm. he connects to. Um, it's just strange enough to make it more interesting than your usual murder mystery craziness I cannot figure out which one of these actors was the um, the uh, guy who made the amulets the jeweler because let me let me oh. try to figure it out oh I'm all right all right cool that's one of the things I love about this movie too like this movie is just like whacked out psychedelic um, the sets, like, Fibes' Fibes's lair is, like, one of the coolest things since the Batcave, man. It's just so odd and unique and, like, all these contraptions and, and everything is, everything's there for a purpose, but you don't really understand what those purposes are. You know, he's got the animatronic band and, and he's got that sweet-ass pipe organ that he comes rising up out of the ground playing and... And, you know, weird track lighting and, you know, this big ballroom floor. Freaking gorgeous. It's beautiful. Dustin, what'd you think of Fibes? Uh, this movie. Uh-oh. <laughs> it was probably my favorite Vincent Price movie. I knew it! Slow play deal. I mean, come on. If you got the fucking Rock of Fire explosion playing in your dungeon, that's pretty badass. If anybody (laughs) remembers who that is. But anyway, yeah, I thought this movie was badass. And I I kind of got lost in it. And not just being a Vincent Price movie, but just being an all-out enjoyable movie to watch. Um, because this, this one, unlike the other Vincent Price movies I watched, was interesting to watch without him on the screen. Like Terry was saying, those, the two detectives were awesome. Um, this movie reminded me a lot of like seven, but just, you know, it was the movie seven, like, but fucked up in like a seventies way, not fucked up in a nineties way, you know, like, cause if you know, sevens, you know, messed up, but like yeah. for that time period, you know, and like this movie, I'm sure people watch this like, oh man, that's messed up. I thought, I mean, what? A, there's so many cool things you could talk about. I love his vehicle with his car <laughs> with like the, 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 the side window. profile. Yes. Yeah. I like the first thing I thought of was like, I want to do that to my car. I want to have a side profile of me, or I guess that was supposed to be him painted oh, on yeah, the was- window. Definitely him, and 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 why? But why, right? Like, why would that be there? But it's awesome. Yeah, what, he's that whacked out that he's. He, uh, it's just yeah, just and there's tons of little things like that throughout this whole movie. It's it's definitely one of those movies that you can watch multiple times and pick something up new with it every time. Yeah, yeah, it's the 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 two detectives comic relief was was perfect, and oh, yeah. it was just it was just enough but not too much 
to where you're like, okay, all right, this is just too hokey. Uh, because they were they were pretty much serious. It's it's hard to, to watch somebody with that accent and not, for me, and not think like uh, Monty Python sometimes. But, uh, you know, these guys, they didn't, they didn't lay it on thick, but they laid it on just enough to where you, you know, their parts were very enjoyable. Well, it, it was just enough comic relief to give you that, that levity in the movie, but at the same time, not screwball comedy to the point where you don't take the character seriously because really the driving force of this movie other you know other than fives and his and what he's doing and his motive but is the is the main inspector that's trying to solve the crime and and you buy into that character you follow that character you want to you kind of want him to part of you is like you want fives to succeed because we're horror movie fans but then there's that side of you that's like you want the inspector to succeed because he he is trying really hard to do his job, and he seems like a decent guy, and you know things kind of go wrong, and they you know they kind of kind of you know have some mistakes along the way, but and I also felt like it had some touches of uh, Saul in there too, with the whole key in the chest. Um, that's one of my, yeah, that's that's one of my notes. You mentioned that comparing it to Seven. I didn't even think of that because again, the whole you know you got Seven Deadly Sins and Seven, and this is the plagues, uh, but mm-hmm. I was calling, I in my notes I have that this movie is the 70s version of Saw. <laughs> <laughs> because, you, you know, you, um, you, you, the whole you know final scene where he's got to dig the key out of his son, or the acid's going to spill on his son's face, um, but I, also the whole assistant thing, especially when you get into like Saw 2 yeah. and Saw 3. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, who doesn't want to learn how to make a Brussels sprout type, uh, um, what would we call that, I guess, uh, maple syrup type stuff yeah. to, to pour on somebody <laughs> and then have locusts pick it clean. I mean, that, <laughs> that's, a, that's so creative. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's something I feel like we'd see today. Um, but it was... It was cool because the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, what is he doing? He's got Brussels sprouts now and leafy greens. <laughs> like, okay, now what? Now what's he doing? He's, then he gets out that sheet with the, the outline of a naked lady. And I'm like, okay, man, this, this, just, this just got too weird. And then all, you know, it all comes together. He drills that hole. He, you know, he places it down right above her in, a, in the room right above her. And, you know, and just coats her face with that stuff and... Now that that to me was just really cool and creative for you know something from seventy one. Yeah, totally. Uh, but is that scene? Do you think that scene's supposed to be comical when he's like going through the Brussels sprouts? Because I was chuckling through it because he's he like looks at one, he puts it in this big barrel of Brussels sprouts. He looks at another one, it doesn't make the cut, so he tosses it to the side. <laughs> it was kind of I found it kind of just because it lasted so long. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I felt like... yeah, that's true. It was. I think it was supposed to be comical. It's funny because he like carries them in there, and uh, for some reason they put them up someplace higher so they can roll down that you know that plastic, you know whatever into his cauldron. But like they're just flying all over the place. He's like trying to keep them in with his hand. Like it was just, it was really bizarre. But I, it, for it all coming together the way it did, then I appreciate it that much more. John, what are your thoughts on Fibes? I I really like this movie. I am a huge, huge fan of of 
movies like this that came out in the 70s and late 60s. I just mm-hmm. really, really like that kind of style. And I tell you what, he, uh, Fibes was out for revenge, and by God, he got it. I tell you, yeah. he was he was out to Wasn't fucking around. No, he was he was gonna kick some ass and and put him in the ground, and he he definitely did that. And I love the way he he did each one a certain way and in a different style, and and uh, used different animals and different things. And and you're right about that one scene with the bat when the guy wakes up and he and you you see the shadows of things flying around. Oh, and yeah, I was, yeah, and you know, yeah, and I, and, yeah. and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he he kind of wakes up and he sees this stuff, and you, and then they show a shadow here and a shadow there, and it's like, it's like you know, you see, you know, it's something flying, but you don't know what it is, and then all of a sudden, he looks down, and there's that one that is like just crawling up his chest, mm. and oh, and and that thing's like just Look looking, it's just looking right at him, and 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 then you and then you find out it's not just one, there, it's just the whole room is covered in them, and that was wild, and. uh and yeah, the the uh, the robotic musicians that he had that just added to the creep, creepy feel of it all. And um, and I don't know, did they ever explain who the who the girl was that was helping him? No, no not at all. And not that's really. what I that's what I love about her. Like, yeah, you know, there's so much emphasis on her because there's there's moments where uh, for the ins- for the inspector for Inspector Trout uh, that. Uh, she's kind of. <laughs> you said his name right the first time. No one else in the movie did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, where he, that, she's kind of the linchpin that kind of starts putting the puzzle pieces of the puzzle for him together because people were referencing like when his when his, the money from his account after he died got um, got moved to another account and then this this woman comes and withdraws all the money. And then, like, uh, there was another reference to her, and he starts putting the pieces of the puzzle together, and 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 she's basically doing all the dirty work, but um, she but she she never says a word to the whole movie. You don't know who she is and why she's helping him, but she plays into every bit of his insanity through the whole thing, as if this is like this is my job, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Love what I'm doing. Yet still with a very flat, emotionless performance as well. Like, she hardly ever blinks. She hardly ever, like, you know, cracks a smile or gets pissed off or freaks mm-hmm. out. She just walks around all cute mm-hmm. and shit. Yeah, there's that, too. Maybe we would have found <laughs> out if she wouldn't have walked under the acid. Yeah. That's the only time you actually hear her voice is when she screams. That's the only time I think you ever hear anything come out of her mouth. Is when and she accord- screams. And according to IMDb, um, her name, her character's name is Vol Volvania. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can't All right. <laughs> S- suck it. How would you say V U L N A V I A? Volvania. That's what I said. That's so, not what you said. <laughs> According it says to IMDb, something. That's all I know. Yep. Um, oh. According to IMDb, <laughs> her name is only said at one moment in the entire movie. Right at the end, Fibes calls calls out her name, and I don't. I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that happening. So, 
that's but it's what I love about her character. Just, the, just how you know she's just helping him out a step of the way, and it's she seems to, you know there's got to be some kind of love there for yeah. him or something, she, right? But you yeah. have no idea the relationship. Yeah, it's almost like she is acting out as a companion for him since his wife is dead. Like it's their daughter, kind of. Yeah, it kind of seems like that. She looks very similar to the wife. Maybe it could be. Um, there is a there is a couple other things about her character on IMDb trivia that I will share, but I'm going to hold off for right now. Did you have any other thoughts, John, that you wanted to say? Um, just like I said, I love the movie. I love the revenge part of it. You know, he was definitely, uh, um, you know, he was convinced that you know all of these people were were uh, responsible for his wife's death. It wasn't because of a car crash. It wasn't because of what, you know, whatever it was. It was, it, that's what it was. It was these people, they tried, and even the doctor, you know, says, you Nine know. Nine people. Yeah, he <laughs> says. <laughs> he says, you know, I, I tried to help her, you know, and he's like, no, he's like, you, you cut her or whatever, you know, in surgery or whatever, and you, that's, you know, you killed her and. And, uh, and so that, I mean, that's, he was convinced that, that they were all responsible and, and he was going to get his revenge and the ending was so, uh, it was, I'd never seen a movie really end like that before. That was just kind of different to, you know, see. Um, yeah, I and, freaking love the ending, man. Um, should we avoid spoilers? And, and it made me want to, it made me when I found out there was a, you know, when I heard, you know, you know, there was an you know, Dr. Fives rises again. I wanted to see it and I have yet to see it, but I'm like, what, you know, where can it go from there? You know, I'm really, really yeah. curious to watch it now because I have not seen it. So Jason, have you gone yet? No. Okay. I was waiting for you to share your trivia. You want me to share it? Still not yet. Yeah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Before well, you forget. Well, there's a couple. There's a couple things that I read about, like um, about that particular character, the assistant Volvania, whatever her name is, um, <laughs> Vulcan Vulcanville. Uh -huh. That um, that I'm glad they didn't go this route. Uh, but one of them said that in the script, Fibes was abusive towards her character and eventually stabbed her to death. Um, and and I'm glad they didn't go that route. I'm just glad that it was just such a... That there's something more under the surface of that relationship. I would hate to it have been like a, a, an abusive thing because there's just so much clouded mystery in about their relationship and who this girl is that just it makes her character so compelling. And the other bit of trivia, which I'm glad they totally didn't go with because uh, it would have totally ruined her character... But uh, but you can still kind of maybe see maybe that's the route they were going with the character. This is a huge spoiler here that uh, um, Volvilia uh, <laughs> was originally meant to be another clockwork device who simply looked more human. Nice. Hmm. That's uh, that was kind of our theory when we were watching it that maybe she was a robot because right before that you know he he talks about how he designed that talk box for mm -hmm. himself after he wasn't able to speak anymore and then they don't really show her after uh she gets 
you know, acid poured all over her and uh-huh. thinking maybe mm-hmm. we would have seen some like gears or some wires poke out. She might have been a robot. Mm-hmm. Yep, could have very well been. They did well look been, at her you know? funny, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, could have very well been that that is the case. You know, I, I still, I mean, I, I've drawn that conclusion before watching the movie as well, but I like how they didn't just come out and tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm glad they let you think you know, draw your own conclusions on what that character is and who that, you know, what that, who that character is and all that. So, And another thing that I really liked, too, was they could have very easily, you know, uh, put them, you know, had him be in makeup, you know, you know, with the burns and everything throughout the whole movie. They could have very easily have done that, but they chose to go with, to make it look like his actual face was the, was the makeup. So I really like the way they, they, you know, for most of the movie, you saw him as Vincent Price. And then, then when you finally get the reveal, you know, it's not, it's, they didn't keep, keep the, keep the makeup all the way through the movie, which I I liked. I was, I liked, you know, to see him, you know, instead of him behind makeup the whole time. I, I love the makeup in this movie. When, when he, he, when his face comes off and you got that skull head. Yeah, I do too. But I love the makeup work on Vincent Price's real face as well throughout the whole mm-hmm. movie because mm-hmm. they do put a lot of makeup on his face that mm-hmm. looks it, it looks bad, you know, which was their way of making it look like his face is fake, yeah. and and it and it comes off that way for me watching this movie that that's not real skin there. Just uh, yeah. you, when you get close up shots of his face, you can really see the makeup pancaked on there and and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also read somewhere, too, that they used some kind of special compound on his face that kind of froze his face on purpose so he wouldn't, you know, like, open his mouth and, like, you know, or smile or frown or do, do any physical emotions with his face. Because he's, mm-hmm. just, he's just straight the whole movie. And I think, and I'm with you, John, like, I love it when we can see Vincent Price's face um, and not hidden behind makeup because especially in this movie for me this is like one of the one of the creepiest performances i think he's ever done and it's majority majorly a silent performance and those moments when you do hear him talk and it's the it's the voice box or whatever i mean Mm -hmm. that's all that's all done in post yeah Uh, they did that you know they 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 added that in so he essentially on on camera is giving a completely silent performance Mm mm-hmm and, and when awesome. they do, yeah, and when they do that, if you watch while he's talking through his, uh, through his um, speaker, you can see his, you know, he's, he, he's not just completely motionless. If you watch his throat, you will see, you see that his throat is moving. So, so the, the character of Fibes must be still using his vocal cords, you know, but it's going through the, through the apparatus that he has, but he, he made sure that whenever that, that talking is going on and that dialogue is going on that he's using to talk through the speaker, that he's actually, you know, he's still, uh, you know, acting it out, you know, like like he's using his vocal cords, you know, so you can tell that it's actually, you know, like he, it looks like he's actually saying the words, but. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And I love where, at, is it at the beginning of the movie where you see him reaching for the prosthetics? You see him reach for the the two ears and the, uh, is it a nose or something? And he reaches, you know, kind of reaches out. It kind of reminds me, kind of the way they do that, kind of 
gives makes me think of you know a Nightmare on Elm Street where Freddy's you know you know doing his glove that kind of I don't know that kind of brought me back to that you know that you know that he's putting this stuff on and and I don't know why but it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Okay, yeah, I can see that. I think there was a couple moments. Well, there's definitely the moment at the end after he tears his face off and then mm-hmm. you know revealing it v- revealing it to the to the one guy. Yeah, and it was a main it was a, it was a cool reveal too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but then he goes and, and puts his other face back on yeah. after that. So yeah, and you guys realize too this movie really doesn't have a first act. Like this movie mm-hmm. starts, or this movie starts right away, right in the right in the the kills. It starts right away in the kills. There is no dialogue or. There's, the musical uh, introduction is the only first act you get. Yeah, and it. and it's and when we see the first first kill, which is the bat scene, that's not the first death. If you yeah. rem, if you remember, they keep referring to the first surgeon that was killed by bees, which we don't we don't even we don't even see, we don't even meet that doctor. That's already happened. How crazy is that? This movie's like, it's like you turned it on. And if it wasn't for the fact that there was an opening credit sequence, you would have thought you would have missed the first 15 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's still done well and paced well. It's not like oh, yeah. it's not like that's a bad thing. And I th- what did what did I read? Um, I think it said like the first. Now I gotta find it. I figured out my oh. uh, guy while you're looking for that. Yeah. Uh, his name is Aubrey Woods. And what I recognized him from, was, he was the Candyman in Willy Wonka. The one who sings the Candyman can. Holy crap, it yeah. was, wasn't it? Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, so Vincent Price didn't say a word for the first 32 minutes of this movie. <laughs> it's like 32 minutes in before he says a word. That's awesome. Crazy, yeah. This movie's awesome. Favorite, um, favorite kill, favorite uh, death in this movie. Anybody? Well, that unicorn one was cool. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unicorn. unicorn. Yes. Oh, and then they they try to remove it, and he's like spinning around. Oh fuck! Yeah, that was <laughs> really funny. That's the funny, funniest moment of that whole movie. Because when he gets impaled by that unicorn, and he's under police protection already at that point, and just that that look of bewilderment and defeat on an, on on the inspector's face, on Inspector Strauss' face, was just so freaking funny. And then when it's that wide shot and that guy sitting there reading the paper, and all you could see is yeah. the feet rotating like a around the club or whatever, yeah. and he's just sitting there trying to read his paper. Yeah, that was good. That might be my favorite too. Yeah. Do you, are you agreeing, Jason? Yeah. That's your favorite. What about you, Dustin? Well, you know, I liked the the Brussels sprout syrup one. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. What was really cool in this is the rats on the plane, but not necessarily for that kill, but for how Vincent Price and his, uh, you know partner are acting like it's just 
Just up on the hill. <laughs> yeah, up on the hill, and he's just got her rocking out the violin. Yeah, he's telescope. Looking, yeah, yeah it's all <laughs> just having really a little cool party stuff. over on the hill. Yep. <laughs> when the plane crashes, he does his little golf clap. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that. Well, there. I thought that was really. <laughs> I thought that was really good. It's hard for me. I think the Rats one is one of my favorites as well, just because the first time I ever saw this movie when I was a teenager, and I saw it um, maybe on USA Up All Night or something, I don't even remember, and that that, uh, that particular death scene just, just always stuck in my brain like forever. Because... <sighs> Because you kind of question, like, okay, the Bats one, which is creepy and disgusting and evil because it's Bats, that you would think he'd still be able to get out of that, right? Out of that situation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe He's paralyzed with fear. I know, yeah. And, and that'd probably be me, too. Anyway, so. <laughs> More girl screaming, yes. And Yes, exactly. <laughs> the Locust one, at what point is that... Well, I guess she did take, like, a sleeping pill, right? Oh, that's why she didn't wake up. But, yeah, why, yeah, at what point would you... I would have waken up after having syrup dumped on my face, or when locusts start eating all the flesh off of my face, I'd probably wake up at some point, you know? Or It just kind of seems like the majority... Like, the, when, the, when the guy's getting his blood drained, mm-hmm. like, his only... His hands are the only thing that's really subdued. His his wrists are tied down or handcuffed. I can't remember to the arm of the chair, but he makes no effort to try to fight with any other part of his body to get out of the situation. And he and and it's this low slow process of having his entire all of his blood drained from his body, which is creepy and like disturbing and an awesome scene. But it just kind of seemed like all of these could have been easily avoided at somehow some point but the rats on the plane that guy's stuck in that airplane and there's rats everywhere inside that plane other than having enough common sense about yourself dealing with a bunch of rats gnawing at you of maybe getting the plane to land but like other than that like that guy's kind of stuck there so that one always is always stood out to me as my favorite one there's a couple things for me about this movie. Uh, one, other than the, that, yes, uh, Saw and Seven both ripped it off. <laughs> but uh, so we did the special effects episode a while back, and I forgot who you said invented the um, prosthetic pieces. Dick Smith. So did Dick Smith rip that off from this movie? No, because Dick that long before this movie oh sorry and second what oh (laughs) i just but uh like this had to be did this get written because of this location because holy crap like all these movies one feel like they're just on a stage somewhere yeah but this one it's like there's so much weird fucking shit with this house it's like how did they write it first and then make it this they had to have had this location first, that's, right? Well, that's the thing that I'm just in awe about this movie. The yeah. location of Fives' lair. If that is all built for the movie, then 
how the set designers <laughs> of this movie never won an Oscar is beyond me because that is some of the most amazing. That's one of the most amazing sets ever on film. A kill I just remembered was the, the frog <laughs> mask. That one was yeah. badass. Mm. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and what a nice little like, you know, a nice little twist on the whole plagues thing. Like the the bats one, you know, that's that's pretty obvious. You know, bees, which is connected to boils. You know that that one, you know, makes sense. Blood, okay, drain the blood. You know, curse of, of hail will just freeze the guy to death, but. But frogs, how, you, how do you turn frogs into something deadly? Well, yeah, okay, Halloween par- or masquerade party and a killer mask that uh, contracts on your head. That's pretty inventive, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Word, word. Mm. Is there actually a cricket in the background? <laughs> Did I just hear that? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I've, I've got my window open because it's hotter than hell in here. And there's, yeah, I think it's me. That's all right. It was just it was very fitting for that moment of silence there. <laughs> as long as they're not going to come in here and eat my face off, like, a, like <laughs> well, quit, quit don't. rubbing Brussels sprout oil all over your yeah, face. Yeah, they just don't ah. boil Brussels sprouts, and you'll be fine. Oh, but it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> so exfoliating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The costumes in this movie are even just outlandish, right? Like he's always running around and with like these long robes and capes, and the the sidekick has always got these like giant fur, furry animals on the top of her head. Cost- no. I even love the costumes in this movie, man. It's so awesome. Okay, my favorite haha moment of the movie with the inspectors is right after the plane crashes. The one cop makes it back to the police station. Should have drove was, faster. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> he's like, I yeah. was pushing it. And he's talking about how he pushed, was pushing it as hard as he could. And he think he blew the oil thing, you know, the oil pistons. I don't know cars. And um, and then the 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 chief or the boss man or whatever. I don't know what they have over there. Um, who has been nothing but a jerk face this entire movie. You know, he's like, what are you guys doing in my car over here? And it turns out to be his car. That was hilarious. I, I laughed out loud at that moment. I, yeah, but I thought I thought there was really good comic relief. And I just was really into those Inspector guys, especially the one, you know, they were, they were hilarious. And that's the thing, like, they were really funny, but it was, like, down-to-earth funny. It was, it was just funny enough where it was, they were, it was, it was kind of like, um, when it, when comedy is done good in horror is when the comedy comes from the characters being in the situation and not doing something slapsticky or, or making jokes at the, at the horror elements, but just when, just, uh, the, the, um, idiocy of the protagonists in the movie dealing with situations that's when when the comedy is done really well and it is done really well in, in this particular case they could have easily been bumbling slapsticky cops tripping all over each other that kind of thing but the the comedy was 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 real human emotional comedy 
coming from their reactions to situations and dealing with situations to the point where you still really liked Inspector Trout. He wasn't just there to be funny, but like you really wanted him to succeed and pull through and save the day. Because he also, at the same time, was the only guy in this whole movie that was had a level head on his on his shoulders and knew what the f was going on. Like he went to his boss a couple times. It's like you know, I think these deaths are connected. The guys, like, no, they're not. And when the crap really hits the fan, he's just like, "How come you haven't caught this guy yet? You know, this is turning into a travesty." And was like, "Well, if you didn't." So if you didn't hold back the guy the first time he came to you, it was your own fault, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that was interesting that you know about that movie is that he was Vincent Price's character was sticking to the the whole you know plagues or whatever because there's a scene where. They've got that nurse, or whatever she is, or nun, I can't tell what she is, but they're keeping her in that building, and they get into an elevator, and Vincent Price is in there, and those are the, like, the well, not necessarily the last two, but, you know, there's there's two two people that he could kill right away that were the doctors, because um, yeah. he's in the elevator, and he even turns around, they don't even, like, he doesn't even get a close-up or anything, it was just something that kind of happens in the background that I thought was really neat. And they, they were all in there in that one elevator for that brief moment to where he could have like taken advantage if he wanted to, but no, he continued on with the, uh, Russell Sprouts. See, he had his plan and he stuck to the plan the whole way. And he, he's, he's like Batman. He's got a contingency for everything that happens throughout the entire movie. You know, it's it's like every time the cops thought they were catching up to him and and starting to outthink him, he was already still ten steps ahead of them and still like anticipating every move. Like when they do have the fine the chief surgeon under police protection, then you, you realize you, that's part of his plan. He wanted he wanted the guy to be under police protection so that the guy's son was not being protected and he can go grab the son. Which also makes me think that whole ending, everything about that ending, which is like amazing and awesome, everything that happened in that ending was all completely premeditated by Fibes. Even to the point of the assistant getting killed by the acid, I still think was maybe premeditated by Fibes himself. You know, cut the loose ends, man. Mm-hmm. You don't want her. You don't want her sticking around to be able to spill the beans. <laughs> Has anybody just, seen the sequel? Like, I know I have, but I can't remember a thing about it. And I thought I owned it because I thought the DVD I had was a combo of one and two, yeah. but it's yeah. just one. And man, I really want to watch the second one really, really bad now. Yeah, I think it was it was released in a two pack on that Midnight Madness. Uh, um. Not was it M, not MGM? I can't yeah, remember MGM. that 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 Midnight yeah. Madness um, movie, Moonlight Madness, or whatever they was doing there for a while, where they had all them classic movies mm-hmm. and they would do like two packs. And I think it there was one that had the first one and the second one, and that'd be a great one to have if if you if a person could find it. Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't been able to track it down other than I have seen it on eBay and Amazon, but I've just never <clears throat> never seen it in the stores though. 
the copy I have of the Abominable Dr. Fives is just the first movie, but it's also on the Min- Midnight Movies MGM mm. label. So, mm. But you're right, I'm pretty sure there is another one, too, that is the two-pack. I know yeah. I've seen it, I swear I used to have it, but I guess I guess not. Never mind, liar. <laughs> I really need to see it bad. We may have to track that one down. Even even if it's not for an episode show, we still need to track it down and watch it. Because I can't remember it, and I need to know what happens. And Fives is such a cool character, man. Like, I would have loved it if it turned into a full franchise. Like, if they you know, would have kept going and making movies, man. Granted, his motive is done after really after the first movie. But still, I love the look of the character. I love Price's performance. I love... It makes you wonder, too, like, if he is so, everything is so planned out and premeditated, those crazy little, those crazy little things, those crazy little moments of, like, profile picture of Vincent Price's face on the side of the car, on the car window, is, like, that on purpose for some weirdo reason that we just don't know about, you know? Everything, everything just seems to have a purpose and make sense, even though you're seeing a lot of crazy, wacko, weirdo shit. Yeah, you're just reading into it and giving it too much credit. Nope. <laughs> you're not reading enough into it. You want it to be like Saw? What? I'm not. <laughs> but wouldn't it be cool on the second one if they actually went back and showed the B-kill? That we never saw in the first one. That'd be awesome. The the um, well, here's an interesting thing too about the sequel. The doctor that, the one that played the doctor that drain that got his blood drained. The one watching the, uh, getting all excited about watching his eight millimeter um, snake charmer movie. <laughs> yeah, that one really. I I didn't care for that too much, guys. But. <laughs> That, oh yeah, yeah. That, that the movie of, or the kill? No, the okay. well, the the girl and the snake. snake but that, yeah. yeah, that that was something that made me cringe. But go ahead. <laughs> anyway, that character is in the sequel, or at least the actor. Anyway, oh the the doctor, or yeah. the guy that the guy that got his blood taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the guy that got his blood drained is in the sequel. So who who knows, man? Well, his. Know. Bl- his blood was left there in the in the jars there on the mantle, so maybe <laughs> maybe they put it back in. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anybody familiar with the actress um, Carolyn Monroe? I think that's how you say her name. Nope. Uh, she was the female lead in um, in William Lustig's uh, Maniac. But uh, she's just, she's done, she did a lot of genre movies in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, Maniac was just the first one that sprung to my mind that you guys probably know her from. But anyway, you know, pretty pretty big uh, horror actress from that time. And she played the wife, Dr. Fibes' wife, who we only see in pictures throughout this whole movie. Oh, wait, never mind. We also see her dead body at the very end, but spoiler alert. I also love to also try not to give too much away about the ending, but, um, you know, the you know how they were trying to figure out what the last plague was going to be, if it was going to be the firstborn, 
um, or the darkness, and how it was Dr. Fibes's, um, Dr. Fibes took on the last one of the darkness with that whole, um, sculpture on the floor. Mm-hmm. Guess, uh, guess picked up on that, right? I guess they yeah. lingered on it way too long that it made it blatantly obvious, but, and then when the credits start rolling and it's the song Over the Rainbow, like, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, abominable, abominable, abominable. <laughs> Doctor Fives is highly recommended. Very difficult to say, but you guys should definitely check out abominable Doctor Fives. So. It's too many letters in there. Abominable. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on um, Dr. Fibes? I'm not saying abominable again. Damn it, I just said it. No? It was cool. Yeah. So we can move on. Um, I, I guess before we jump into another, mo- another movie here, since we're kind of maybe about the halfway point um, of, the, of the show... Uh, just overall thoughts and impressions of Vincent Price. I can do a really good Vincent Price, right, Jason? No, you, you can't. Hear impression? No. I want to hear it. Damn it, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where's my intro? I'll, I'll do my intro again in Vincent Price voice. Okay. Why did you do it like that in the first place? Because he can't. That's why. Because um. here's here's why. You ready? <laughs> Dark, darkness falls across the land. <laughs> Nobody sounds like Vincent Price. But Vincent Price, right? Like right. It's such an iconic voice. And Jason and I were talking about this earlier when I was trying to write my intros. To us in the horror community, his movies are classics and timeless and easily recognizable. But when I try to write my intros, and sometimes I overthink it, like trying to appeal to the masses, like people know who Vincent... To the general masses, people know who Vincent Price is. We probably recognize his face. We probably recognize his voice. But do they really know his movies? It's not like he's had like one ginormous breakout role, like Bela Lugosi as Dracula, or Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Right? Right. Yep. So that's pretty interesting. I mean, his body work definitely speaks for you know the the amount of his of his body of work. Um, maybe definitely helped catapult him into that um, iconic role. But uh, how many films? Um, uh, well, definitely over a hundred. Because that was also a thing about the abominable Doctor Fives is that they were. <laughs> They were um, advertising the abominable Dr. Fives as Vincent... What is so funny? Is Vincent Price's 100th film. Which is weird because, like, that was 1971. He still did done a, did a ton of movies in, in the 70s and early 80s. And a lot of TV shows, too, which obviously is credited on IMDb. And it, I think he only had, like, 168 credits. So, I don't know. I don't know if they were pulling that number out of their ass just for advertising purposes, but but he, I mean, he's done a lot of movies and a, a ton in the genre for sure. So thoughts on Vincent Price as a whole? Vincent Price is 
Oh, a hole? What did you say? Oh my god. <laughs> Your mic cut out. I missed something. Yeah. Sure did. <laughs> He's neat. Go ahead. He's just such a great character actor. I know we haven't. We'll get into House of Wax, I'm sure, but like that in particular, like that performance, like just the way he carried himself and all of his like physical mannerisms and everything, like his his gait and everything was just awesome. Like he, I don't know if he started out as a stage actor, but he kind of gives that vibe, like he was more of a stage actor, but. It translates really, really well to all the films that he does. There's something about some of those actors, like like a Peter Cushing or a Vincent Price or a Boris Karloff, that project a sense of sophistication about them, mm-hmm. and yet and yet they're um, typecast into these into these like horror films, which has a reputation of not being sophisticated at all. Is it more than the English accent? Or is that the but, only... Oh. I don't know. Does he, would you say he's got an English accent? He's got an uh, accent. He was born in mm-hmm. St. Louis. Yeah, he's American. Mm-hmm. He's American. American. He's just got that tone of in his voice that makes him so distinctive. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, his his voiceover work. I mean, you would you could pick him out. I mean, anytime you see a cartoon or a <laughs> or anything that you hear his voice, I mean, you know it's him. I mean, it's very distinctive. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Let's talk about the Great Mouse Detective while we're at it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his his character in that's pretty. What was what was it name? What was the name? Yeah, who Rats was he? That it's been a long time since I watched. Well, he was the bad guy. Um, oh. Rat, rat something. Played huh. the rat bad guy. Uh, <laughs> in his in his IMDb trivia, he said that that was his favorite role of all time was doing the <laughs> voice the voice in um, Great Mouse Detective. So, Professor Radigan. Radigan, that's right. You know, I don't think I realized that when I was young. It's been so long since I've seen it that I guess I didn't realize that when I was younger. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I had the chance to meet him back in the 80s. What? And I had the chance to meet him, and I didn't do it, and I, I kicked oh, myself. God. He, he was actually at our local college where I grew up. He was um, there for some reason for their homecoming week. And at the college homecoming parade, he was in the he was in the in a car driving through the thing. And when he came past us, he did that. He was laughing, and I mean, I swear to God, it sounded just like off the Thriller song, you know, where he what? laughs at the end. And he was driving mm. right past us, and he was at the college for for homecoming week or something. He was there for like a day or so, and I could have, you know, I could have very easily probably found out, you know where he was going to be in, you know, at the college and he was probably speaking or something and I could have met him and I'm like, man, why didn't I do that? What, you know, it was like, it's one of the moments where you think you're, you know, you're just so stupid that you him and George Romero. Gosh, I know uh-huh. I missed that too. And I very easily could have met him too. Oh my uh. God, John. 
Oh my god, your street cred oh. keeps going down for me. <laughs> so know. you said you could kick yourself, but can I kick you next time I see you? For now? I, you, you might as well. I'll get one from every one of you, because I tell you what, that was that was a stupid right, thing. Right in the ass, man. Come yep. on. Yep. What are you thinking? Halloween of Palooza, I'll give everybody a chance. I think I think we just added another vendor table to Halloween Palooza. <laughs> Donate a dollar, yeah. get to kick John Sullivan yeah. in the ass for not being good surprised. Kick my ass for a dollar. <laughs> it's like I'll raise money. money. Easy money. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like the the stuff that really I don't know. It's hard to say because he's been he's been doing it for a while, and he, I forgot too. Like. His horror movie cred goes all the way back to um, the, he was the lead in um, Invisible Man Returns. I totally forgot all about that, which I love the Invisible Man. Or was Man. he? Ah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Again, how can you mistake that voice? Yep. And he obviously had enough cred already in the horror community that when they did um, Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein... And there's that little joke at the very end of the movie. If you guys see an Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, please say yes. Mm-hmm. No. All right, fine. Anyway, at the very end of the film, like, you know, all is well and good, you know, because you know they've 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 defeated Dracula and Frankenstein and 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 the Wolfman, and so no more monsters, right? But then right at the very end, like. They hear a voice, and it's the Invisible Man. They go running off because they're scared again. And the voice of the Invisible Man in that movie is Vincent Price. So, like, mm-hmm. they obviously thought of him enough as being a staple in horror to bring him back as the voice of the Invisible Man. Because, you know, because, I mean, as far as Invisible Man goes, Claude Rains is the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And Vincent Price just took that over for the sequel. So, so he's been doing it for ever. And so I hate to say, like, if there was anything that really put him above the rest, but maybe those Roger Corman Poe films? Because those are always the first thing that spring to my mind when I think of Vincent Price, is those, is those Poe films. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, just, I could just see him in that crazy-ass costume, working the crank on, in Pit and the Pendulum, or, um, or in The Raven... Mm-hmm. Which is which is a very funny movie. It's actually more of a comedy than a horror movie, to be honest. But just or or, Ma- or oh man, Mask of the Red mm-hmm. um, Red Death, you know. And he did all of those Corman films. And that's the other thing. I think maybe this is another thing that um, makes Vincent Price really stand out and and made him such an icon is that he he he. To listen to him talk and, and whatnot, you would think that this is the type of guy that's only going to pick the top projects. It's going to, you know, that he's an actor and he's going to be doing Shakespearean roles and blah, blah, blah. But then he'll, like, he'll work in something big budget and then he'll turn around and work in, like, $2 Roger Corman Poe movies, right? Like, he he's done every, you know, every budget level, but still comes off super classy and still comes off as still having a great time and giving 110% no matter what role. He just seems like the type of guy that would be super cool to hang out with. And John could have, but he didn't. Uh... Uh...
$7,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you also know he wrote a series of cookbooks? What? He wrote several cookbooks. See, again, the guy was, like, super classy. He was really into, like, cooking and, and fine cuisine and stuff like that. And he wrote several cookbooks. That is awesome. Yeah, I right. need those. I do need those. The books. How cool would that be? And one of the, I think one of the biggest things I ever regretted selling at Insane's Asylum is that we had the Vincent Price version of the game, uh, the Parker Brothers or whoever oh. um, game, Hangman. I found mm-hmm. it at like I found it at like some thrift store for like a buck or less, and we turned around and sold it for a decent price at, at Insane's Asylum. I wish I would have kept it. This has got Vincent Price's mug right on the front. And, oh, just how cool would that be sitting on the wall, you know? And he did a lot of that kind of stuff, too. Like, uh, there was also, he 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 endorsed um, another toy game thing or whatever uh, called Shrunken Heads back in the day. I would love to track down one of those boxes, too. So cool. Did a lot of that stuff. And not just, and again, not just horror, man. He wrote cookbooks. What the fuck? Dustin, you're quiet. What are your thoughts on Mr. Price? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I like the guy. I like what he's, I like what he's done. I, I, I really don't have like you know a lot to say get to, about him. I guess. I mean, he's. Well, did you watch much, uh, much before we've done this episode? You know, you said you did a marathon yesterday. Were you um, familiar with much of his work before? Now? Well, I've, al- I've always been familiar. It's just like one yeah. of those things where you you just never got a chance to to watch. Or I mean, you just it, it's hard to get your hands on these types of movies um, unless they're on Netflix or you know you can go buy them. But um, I mean, I mean, I always I always knew who he was. I was always aware of Vincent Price, and I'd seen him in a few things in here uh, here and there. I, uh, I I'm trying, still trying to think of the movie that I saw a, a long time ago, where it was just well, that we were talking about earlier, where he was like a cult leader. I can't <laughs> find it on the the IMDb one. It's probably you know, like you said, we eliminate half of those movies when I say he was a cult leader. But uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he seemed like a a cool guy. I would like to. I guess now that after I've seen these movies i would like to see if i can maybe find some um interviews of just yeah. of just him being him and, and not these characters just to see what he was like as a person he also seemed to be the type of guy that really embraced what he was doing like he could have been a guy that could have easily like didn't want to be typecast into these type of roles but st- still embraced it like i still remember the episode of the muppet show that he hosted Anybody? I think so. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Never, no. And it was a Halloween-themed episode, oh. and it was all just, you know, you know Vincent Price is on, so we got to do all a bunch of, like, you know, Halloween-typey skits and stuff like that. And I mean, there's even a Muppet on The Muppet Show that is based off of Vincent Price. I think his name is even Vincent. So. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Why are we talking about the Muppets on this show, Mike? I don't know. Just, <laughs> Muppets are we awesome. We were all Googling I mean, Muppet Vincent. I remember 
like a bit of it. I don't know if I've ever seen the full episode, but I remember him with Kermit. Okay, so top three favorite Muppet Show episodes um, in this <laughs> what? in this in this order. Uh, number three, the Star Wars episode that had the host Mark Hamill, but it mm. also had him show up as Luke Skywalker, claiming that Mark Hamill is his cousin. And it also had Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2 in it. And it had Gonzo um, in a Pigs in Space episode playing a version of Darth Vader. Awesome episode. Number two was is the Alice Cooper episode. And then number one, the Vincent Price episode. Oh, top four episodes of Muppet <laughs> Show. Um, anytime Steve Martin was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. What's your favorite Muppet Show? <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> and Vincent Price um, also played a villain on the Batman TV series. Yeah, Egghead. Mm-hmm. Egghead, yeah. So there. <laughs> So there, he's sinister. That's right. All right, so let's move on. Um, um, remind me, Jason, if we ever ever get a chance to talk to Jeff Burr again, I really need to talk to him about his first film, The Offspring. It's got Vincent Price in it. Whoa. Like, the man for his first movie got to work with Vincent Price. How oh. crazy is that? I just want to be like, dude, were you crapping your pants the whole time Vincent Price was around? Because I would have been. Yeah, and John would have been, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, all right, let's get back to some of the movies. Uh, I'm surprised Dustin hasn't brought up Dead Heat as his yeah. favorite Vincent Price. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I forgot he was in that! <laughs> He's not in it that much. That's like that's Edward Scissorhands territory right yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Well, both those movies are definitely towards the end of his end of his life, and he was really really sick when they shot Edward Scissorhands. There was supposed to be like two more scenes that had Vincent Price in it, but they got scrapped just because he was so ill at the time. So. Aww. Yeah. It's pretty sad. So, but let's stop talking about sad stuff, and let's talk about, um, what, what, what's the next one we want to talk about? Oh, House on Haunted Hill, anybody? Yeah. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. watched it. Oh, so, Jason, tell us what's it about. It's, you know, but, oh, you hit mute, that means you just had to go to the bathroom. That's, <laughs> yep, and there he says, I'll be right back. God, what a jerk. <laughs> So, it happens so fast, though, right? He's just like, here, hand it off, go. Okay. <laughs> and you couldn't, you couldn't say anything. I could. I didn't have a choice. He's just like, gave it to me. Damn it. Uh, House on Haunted Hill. Crazy rich guy and uh, invited a lot of people to a party for money and had a crazy murder party. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool, huh? Yeah, yeah. But it was a supposedly haunted house, right? Right, it was sort of. Or was it? Well, I mean... Okay, so yeah, yes, it's supposed to be. And then we all seen it, right? So then the end, like, oh, it was really... Maybe not. But then... (laughs) 
But then the fucking drunk guy, what the fuck's he talking about at the end? end? You know? It's yeah, like, that was pretty. That was pretty ignorant. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there, there's nine now. Maybe these on it. Then they're gonna come for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that he, and that was the guy. That was the guy. If anybody's seen Salem's Lot, that's the drunk guy off Salem's Lot too. <laughs> Typecast. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it would have. I don't know. It's like they just got done debunking it, but then he went on his tirade. So it was just seemed weirdly placed or didn't mean anything other than what the fuck's wrong with this guy? Did he not listen? You know. <laughs> But at the very beginning, he says that when they found him, he had spent the night in the house before, and when they found him, he was almost dead. So, right. so I mean, but then they, but then through the rest of the movie, you don't really, there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's not clear if it's, it's not, it doesn't be a, look like it's apparent that it's really paranormal. It's more other things going on, but. But he still believes at the end. He still believes that there's yeah, does. freaky shit going on. So he <laughs> he knows they're gonna. He says they're gonna come for me, and they'll then they'll come for you, and then you hear the laugh, and but you never really see. I don't know. I don't want to you know give it away to anybody that that hasn't seen it. But you don't really. It there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of scary and freaky stuff, but it's not really clear if it was any paranormal stuff going on, but. Right, because when Vincent's like, "Ah, eh, we did," or when you, they debunk some of the things, but not maybe not all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, when, uh, damn it, I forgot her name. Lola, no, the nicer girl. <laughs> when she, one of the Nina? first, Is Nina. Nina? Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, when she, like, maybe the second time she gets separated off by herself. After she'd already seen the weird thing, when she's mm-hmm. by herself knocking on the wall and she turns around and the blind lady's there, I about shit my pants. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. And, and she freaked me out. Oh my god! And she's got that she's got that scowl on her face like that. And, yeah. then, and then when they see her move, then it's like she's on a cart. It's like she's not yeah, walking. She's like being pulled, you know, or something. It's, but then. But but then that's one of the caretakers. That's like the caretaker's yeah. wife. So why the mm-hmm. fuck was she floating? I still don't understand that. Uh-huh. Like she, she was just gliding. She was skateboarding. Yeah. She was skateboarding. Okay. She's blind, so she had to use a skateboard. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that was that was really scary. That was the moment that really stuck out to me for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. No, it was. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to showing. This is one of the ones I'm showing for my. Black and White Horror Nights, so I'm kind of excited about that. Um, but I, I'm trying to, I need to watch, now that I've watched this one, I need to rewatch the remake with that has like Jeffrey Rush in it. I'd seen that mm-hmm. one before, but I don't, it's been so long that I really don't recall much of it. But now that I've watched the original, I need to go back and rewatch that one and see if it holds up compared to it or not. And I think in that in that remake, I don't they show a lot more. Uh, they show a, a lot of stuff that is supposed that is supposed to be paranormal. I think in that one. Yeah, and I feel like there was like a lot more death 
like people actually die in that one mm-hmm. as opposed to just you know people faking it and scaring other people the whole time mm-hmm. people one. die in this one right? well at the very yeah, yeah at the very mm-hmm. end a couple people finally die but not yeah most of them actually come out alive which i guess is a little abnormal for most horror movies anymore but and what is very abnormal is having a vat of acid in your basement. That's a little <laughs> abnormal, Wait. I think. Right? <laughs> Mike, you gotta clean up this vat of basement down here. Or vat of acid. Vat down. of basement. <laughs> does, does he have one down there, too? I was just yeah. gonna say, that's not... Yeah, I got two of them. That's not normal to have a vat of ba- uh, Jesus, I'm doing it too. A vat of acid in your basement with a floating skeleton crawling out of it. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. But how did... Why didn't the skeleton disintegrate in the acid? Exactly. I mean, I was trying... I kind of went to like Breaking Bad there for a second and I'm like, okay... Wasn't there, like, a plastic tub that wouldn't yeah, melt in different. the acid, right? Maybe yeah. it was that same material. So it's okay. I'll allow it because of Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I agree I agree with everything you guys said about this movie. Whatever, you jerk. You just ran <laughs> off the second you could. <laughs> Another weird thing I had was at the end... Uh, when Vincent is standing there and they all run down and he like explains what happened. He's like, uh, yeah, you didn't shoot me and my wife did this and the guy did this and they're like, oh, okay. But like, they all, at that moment, the wife was still dead upstairs to them. So why weren't they like, oh yeah, so she fell in here. Because he's like, yeah, she tripped and fell in here. But to them, they would have still thought she was upstairs, dead from hanging herself. Right. So I was like, mm-hmm. but they were just like, oh, okay. They were just very accepting, yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah, there's definitely, um... It's like, give me my money, I don't care, let's go. There's definitely issues with the uh, logic of this film or the reality of this film and then what bugs me about it is like there's there's reality holes in this movie like why is there a vat of acid in the basement you know why does this character do this or you know how come a skeleton is crawling out of it and and like how come we're seeing these ghosts but it's all not real it, it feels like they try to say they try to keep the movie way based in reality saying okay the movie's not really haunted this is these were all just tricks but then, like, the tricks come off less realistic. Everything comes off as less realistic when you say it's grounded in reality as opposed to just accepting the fact that the house is haunted. Yeah. Mm. That's true. I don't know. It was, it was fun. I liked it. I'm trying to remember what the, um, this movie... Oh, there it is. Uh... This was made by William Castle, who was really, 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 really famous for... He was kind of the... Everybody referred to him as kind of like the schlock Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was even, I think, like maybe like a little rivalry going on between Castle and Hitchcock. Um, but 
Castle <laughs> was definitely far more interested in the theatrics than really hashing out a good script. I'm not saying, okay, I, I'm not saying I don't like House on Haunted Hill. I love House on Haunted Hill, and I love um, all of William Castle's movies. But movies like The Tingler, I mean, come on, that plot line is so hokey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't even make any a stitch of sense. But I still love it, don't get me wrong. Oh. But but William Castle was, was definitely seemed like he was far more interested in the theatrics of the movies than anything else because he was famous for trying to enhance the theater-going experience. And this movie was filmed in what was called Emergo. And what they would do is in the scene where the skeleton rises out of the acid bath... They would have, in theaters, they would have wires running across the ceiling of the theater. And during that moment when the skeleton rises out of the acid, they would have a plastic skeleton, a life-size skeleton, come shooting down um, over top of the crowd um, when, when that moment happened. So there's all kinds of stuff like that. Like the Tingler, I mentioned in the intro, there was little... Um, um, electronic devices underneath certain seats mm-hmm. that um, when the tingler was running loose they would shock the seats and you would feel a little electric shock on your ass all kinds of crazy stuff like that that they that um, William Castle used to do 13 Ghosts was another one mm-hmm. where you would have to wear a special set of glasses in order to see the ghosts on screen kind of thing um, all kinds of all kinds of crazy gimmicks that I love, and I love that 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 total thing of the total theatrics of the whole thing. Yeah. Which, which, when you're watching these movies nowadays, like on Netflix or on DVD or whatever, the movies don't definitely don't hold up as well as they did back then because that was the intent of those movies to play in theaters with these gimmicks. And I would have given anything. To have been oh, able yeah. to have seen those movies back in the fifties and early sixties that had all this stuff, I mean, it it would have been fucking awesome to yeah. be able to see, you know, oh, to yeah. have to be shocked in your, you know, a mild shock in your seat, you know, whenever the tingler comes <laughs> onto the screen or or the I think the glass thing glasses on Thirteen Ghosts was called Percepto, and, yeah, yeah, and you could, uh, and they said they said they they you know you could if if you was too scared or whatever you could do it so you wouldn't see the ghost or you or put it a different way so you would see the ghost and they said well nobody was going to not want to see the ghost because that's why they went to the movie so everybody would you know look at the ghost and there's there's quite a you know quite a number of those glasses that survived and i, I would love to have a pair but oh, i mean but the that stuff doesn't happen now nobody does that and william castle was and don't get me wrong i love alfred hitchcock movies you know his all of, all of his films. I don't think there's one that I probably don't like. But William Castle was a genius when it came to this stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he he went out and I mean, and he promoted the he promoted the hell out of stuff. And he oh, yeah. you know he would even show up to places. And yeah, he would travel with his movie. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, could anyway. you imagine sitting in that fucking seat and getting zapped, not knowing that was going to happen? Oh man, it's oh, so awesome! Oh, oh, and the, and oh, the tingler, the tingler is is the ultimate of the whole William oh, Castle yeah. shtick, because not only um, 
was it the most intense thing he ever did? Like literally hooking things under your seat to shock you and make you mm-hmm. jump up out of your seat. But the way it plays out in the movie is genius. Like, yeah. um, Vincent Price is tracking down this tingler creature, which looks like an overgrown centipede with like pinchers <laughs> on the front of it. Yeah, and and it gets loose in this in this movie theater. Mm-hmm. And, and on the screen. Trying, and and so it cuts to like the yeah the screen, um, uh-huh. that that the movie's playing on in this movie theater, and so all we're seeing is this shadowy tingler crawling across the screen. Then the whole it looks like the film breaks and the, all the lights go out, and then mm-hmm. all you hear is Vincent Price's voice saying, um, "Attention, movie go th- movie theater goers, the tingler is loose in this theater." Uh huh. Do not scream. Whatever you do, do not scream, because that's what the Tingler wants, is he feeds off your screams. <laughs> and then that's when they started shocking everybody. It was like, mm-hmm. awesome. It's so genius. Yeah. And then if you saw it in the drive-in, they also had the same thing would happen, but you would see um, the screen would go black, and it wouldn't be at the drive-in. They had uh, William Castle actually do it, saying, saying it over the loudspeakers or over the um, speakers. He oh, would cool. say it. But in the theater, it was Vincent Price when they would show up. But at the drive-in, it would be William Castle's voice. And uh, but but go ahead, Mike. I, and and I and I'll, we'll I'll talk about it here in a little bit. But um, the Tingler is like probably my favorite Vincent Price movie ever. I absolutely love the Tingler. You're right; the storyline is a little hokey, but but we'll get into it in a little bit, and I'll I'll explain why it's my favorite and all that. But go ahead. Well, um. Just I think with the Tingler also um, in that whole moment in the film where the film breaks down everything, it's such an amazing moment because it breaks the fourth wall, but it still plays in the reality of the movie because it's Vincent Price chasing down the Tingler where it gets loose in a movie theater. So mm-hmm. when when it goes black, it it, it it feels like Vincent Price is talking to us, the moviegoers, saying that the Tingler is loose in our theater. But it's, yeah. But when you're watching it on DVD, like we have to, um, mm-hmm. it still plays into the whole plot of the movie. So it was an interesting use of breaking the fourth wall for his gimmick. But uh, mm-hmm. he did all just all types of great stuff like that, and and. He was ripped off, not ripped off, I mean, he was uh, copycatted by other filmmakers that did that same kind of stuff. It was just the back in the William Castle days, man, just was like the ultimate time for theater going for me. Wish I could have been alive during that time. Um, you know, like movies, like I mentioned, uh, Matt Monsters Crash the Pajama Party. They used to, you know, have moments in the movie where it looked like the, the you know, the, the giant gorilla is, is going towards the camera and then... And then you actually have people in gorilla suits in the theater start running up and down the aisles of the movie theater, you know, grabbing girls and stuff like that, you know. So it's oh, such it's putting a lot more fun in the movie-going experience than we have nowadays, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Alfred Hitchcock, don't get me wrong, I mean, he promoted the hell out of, like, Psycho. And, I mean, you know, like in, in the big cities, I mean, he had stand-ups of him saying, you know, no one will be admitted after the start you know after the start of the movie and and all of this and he had all kinds of ads and i mean he promoted but nobody nobody did it i don't think like william castle did william castle was yeah. awesome he 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 had the gimmicks and he knew what what to do for what movie and i mean i 
you know, and most of the time it might have been maybe the maybe some sort of uh, you know like the percepto glasses that might have been what it what maybe brought people into the movie. But I mean, he he was I mean he was smart. He knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Well, both of them, you know, both of them were definitely. I think that's why they got compared to a lot because Alfred Hitchcock was really theatric. Theatrical mm-hmm. promoting his movies too. Yeah, the Psycho trailer is one of the greatest trailers in cinema history. Doesn't show any of the movie. It just shows Alfred Hitchcock walking around the mm-hmm. Bates house and be like, you know, oh, something really nasty happened on these stairs. Mm-hmm. You'll just have to see the movie. And then urging the audience to not talk about the end of the movie. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's just genius yeah. promotion for like nineteen sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting fact I'm looking on here, um, under the trivia of House on Haunted Hill, on IMDb, it said the large grosses for the film were noticed by Alfred Hitchcock. This led him to create his own low-budget horror film, Psycho. Which is interesting, Mm. because then, it's a vicious cycle, because then William Castle ripped off Psycho when he did movies like Straight Jacket and, um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, shoot. Oh, dang it. Now i got to look up William Castle because I can't remember the name of the movie. There's two movies that were bl- blatant influences on um, William Castle after Psycho happened. Anyway, what, what do you want to say about The Tingler while I'm trying to remember that? Well, uh, I remember when I first saw The Tingler, and I mean, if there was ever a pair-up of two of the most, how do I want to say it? If I want to say iconic or um, people that were involved in in suspense movies or or you know movies of shock uh, or just just great movies. I mean, if there ever was a better pair up of anybody, it was Vincent Price and William Castle. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean Vincent Price was awesome. Uh, William Castle, like I said, I I love his movies. Um, the Tingler was just, I, I love the movie and I, and I don't really know what it is about it. I, I don't know. It's not really, it is, you know, knowing cause I mean, watching it now, of course you don't get the gimmick, but, but it's, it's the story of it is really cool. And, you know, it starts out, you know, that, uh, Vincent Price plays a doctor that believes, um, he believes that there's a parasite that grows on everybody's spine that when you are frightened, it gets larger. And the only thing that keeps it from getting any bigger and killing you is when you scream and everybody that's frightened usually screams. Um, it starts off with, uh, with a, a guy that's on death row and they're taking him to the electric chair. And of course, as he's going, he screams well, the doctor doing the the uh, which is Vincent Price doing the autopsy. He, I think he realizes something, something's not right, or he does an X-ray or something and finds something. I believe on his spine, and uh, it just happens to be the brother of of this guy's wife that comes in because he witnessed the execution and his wife wasn't there, um, and she happens to be mute. She can't she can't talk or anything. So they go. The guy invites the doctor back to his house, invites Vincent Price back to his house, and they go, and he finds out that the guy runs a movie theater, and him and his wife do, 
and his wife is, uh, like I said, mute. And let's see, uh, later on in the movie, well, through, through, through the first part of the movie, he's Vincent Price is starting to kind of believe in, in this parasite thing. And the, the guy's mute wife, she is at home, and she starts seeing all these scary things. And she sees this thing rise up in her, in her bed. She goes to lift the covers off, and this it looks like a dead person. And the thing that is another thing that is really cool, and they, they did this at the theater. The movie was showed in black and white, but mm-hmm. they have one scene where you actually see blood pouring out of the faucet into the into the tub. Yeah, and, and and it's it's red, and that's the and they they did that on purpose. They purposely put that color in there, and uh, so she sees that, and then she sees her own death certificate on when she opens up this medicine cabinet. She sees shows that she died, and anyway, so she she does end up um, getting scared enough. That she sees this axe from this like decomposed hand go flying through the air, and it's really it's it's really. Uh, just really, um, not, it doesn't look natural. I mean, it looks really, really, uh, bloated. Unnatural. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It just, the way, and the way the ax goes to flying out of the hand, but it, but mm, she's all yeah. scared and she, and so she starts, you know, wants to scream, but she can't. So here she is, you know, and she falls down. Well, the guy, her husband finds her and calls Vincent Price and they take her to the morgue and he does like a, an x-ray on her and finds there's something on her spine while well, he ends up removing it and it looks like a huge uh like a huge centipede and this thing is like huge and anyway so he he takes it and he puts it in a he puts it in a in a case or something and i forget exactly how it happens but it gets loose and gets into the theater like like we was talking about you was talking about and and uh and they don't know where it's at, and then they, they so they sh- they they realize it's in the theater. So they shut the they shut the lights off or whatever, and they holler, you know, you know, um, you know the the tingler is loose in the theater, and you see that you hear that, and then it's like it's like scream. It's the only thing that will protect you, you know, scream because when you scream, it it makes it stop, and it makes it it like paralyzes it when when you scream. So anyway, so they find it. It's up. It's up in the actually up in the. Uh, uh, it's like getting a hold of the uh, the projectionist up in the booth because they see that they see the tingler go, going on the they see it's ref, like not reflection but it's shadow on the screen on the white screen through the projector and so they get up there and uh, and so you find out that the actually the guy who who had the mute wife he actually did all this stuff to kill her and I don't know if they actually even because he knew she couldn't scream and I don't know if they actually actually uh, explained why he killed her I don't know if it was insurance money or what I don't know what the deal was uh, but at the uh, Vincent price ends up putting it back he ends up putting it back into the wife and at the very and and then it for for some strange reason I don't understand why but then it I won't I won't reveal the ending but the ending's kind of Kind of different, but I've always loved this movie. I I don't know why it's just been. It's it's just I like the way it was. I like the way it was all put together and the and like I said the the red blood in the you know in the tub. Yeah, I think that really 
that just adds to the whole whole movie. And I thought Vincent Price did an excellent job in it. Mm-hmm. And and it's to me, it's one of the best gimmick movies. You know, with those buzzers oh, in yeah. the seats that that yeah. I've ever you know that I've ever you know heard of. You know, and and man, like I said, I what I wouldn't give to be you know back in the to have seen that in the theaters, any of the, even even the Alfred Hitchcock ones. I mean, just just all of them. Oh but, God! But but you know, if there ever was a better team up of anybody, it was. I think it was you know to get Vincent Price to be you know in one of William Castle's. Well, he was actually in, in two because of House on Haunted Hill, and he might have been in more. I can't remember, but I know at least these two were William Castle movies. But yeah, I I, I love the movie. I mean, I, I I know I know it's a and and especially when you see the Tingler. And it's going across the. You can tell that there's uh, there's something pulling it to kind of give it that little jerky motion, but but it's it's I, I've always liked it. It's it's an awesome movie. Like I said, it's probably about my favorite, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Vincent Price movie. And I think it's just because of the whole thing, the whole William Castle thing wrapped around it. Um, but don't get me wrong, love love Vincent Price, love. You know, Doctor Fibes. I love House on Haunted Hill and all of those, but but that's my take on the Tingler, anyway. Quick side note: uh, the other movie I was trying to think of that um, was highly inspired by the success of Psycho was the movie Homicidal, which is oh yeah, which is straight up a a, a Psycho ripoff. Only um, the genre is reversed. I'll just mm-hmm. leave it at that. Okay, yeah. so um, well. Here's my take on why I think um, the Tingler stands out. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, I, I realize now I said it backwards. I said that they urged people not to scream because the because um, it feeds off the screams. But you're right; it's it's the opposite. Um, the only thing to subdue the Tingler, this parasite that apparently grows on all of our spines, and the only way to suppress it from killing us and taking us over, is um, to scream. That, that controls the tingler and keeps it from growing and taking over and killing us. So we all have these tinglers attached to our spine. It's the most ridiculous freaking plot line you've ever heard of. It sounds something straight out of some schlocky B-movie. It is a schlocky B-movie, mm-hmm. but it's done so well. What other schlocky B-movie would go so far as to be a little bit extra artistic and add one scene with a little bit of color in the black and white film by adding red in the bloody bathtub scene. No mm-hmm. other B-movie would ever do that. They realize we're making some shitty B-movie. We're only going to spend like a few thousand dollars on this. We're going to shoot what we need to shoot and throw it on the screen. And so it's a B-movie that'll play at a drive-in for people to make out during. We don't care. But... William Castle went so far as to give it that little extra art- artistic integrity on such a B-movie plot. And the fact that he casts Vincent Price. Vincent Price sells it. He sells mm-hmm. this the most this most ridiculous plot line in the history of cinema. And he <laughs> sells it. You are convinced that, like, oh, maybe there is some parasite on my spine that... Uh, that feeds off my fear, and the only way to keep it from killing me is to scream. Yeah, yeah, that sounds legit. <laughs> so I think that's why it's a movie with a with a plot line 
um, not to be taken seriously, but the 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 filmmakers took it a hundred percent seriously in making the film. So it's it's unique <laughs> in that respect that it's a movie that's well made, way better than it should have been. Yeah, yeah, and that and that Tingler, it looks so. I'm sure that was just the one that they ever had, but it oh, looks yeah. It it reminds me of just a huge uh, replica or a, a bigger larger uh scaled model of just like those little rubber you know like you can buy those bags of bugs rubber bugs you know and it just looks like a big large centipede you know a little bit different but and it it looks so fake especially when it's when it's coming out and and going across the floor because it's just it's just kind of being pulled in a and being pulled across the carpet or whatever and it's in a jerky motion and you can tell it's so fake but Mm-hmm. It's but but the the actors I mean make it make it seem like it really is you know after them you know yeah yeah so that's the tingler getting way a, off of go ahead oh no you go ahead. oh I was just gonna say we need to have a William Castle marathon sometime <laughs> I think we should and the thing that always amazes me about William Castle and his body work you know he's made like uh, all these like schlocky horror films like Macabre and House of Haunted Hill, Tingler, 13 Ghosts, Homicidal, um, you know, The Old Dark House, Straight Jacket. Mm-hmm. And then he was a producer for Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a jump there in, like, you know, quality of films. I mean, I'll take I'll take any of those other films over Rosemary's Baby by far, but like Rosemary's Baby, this does not. I was shocked when I first realized that William Castle was a producer on Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was actually oh, one, in one it more thing too. Oh yeah, well I think he makes an appearance in all of his films again, like Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, Another thing to kind of um, touch base on the whole rivalry between him and Hitchcock, one of my favorite William Castle publicity photos is William Castle sitting at a dinner table um, with, an, with, a, with his utensils in his hand, his big old cigar sticking out of his mouth, which he always had, and on his dinner plate was Alfred Hitchcock's head. <laughs> so it was very publicly known of this like rivalry i don't know if it was like a bitter rivalry or just you know a fun i would assume william cast just kind of seemed like a fun guy anyway so mm-hmm. i'd assume it was all in fun the rivalry anyway but yeah so yeah that's william castle anything else, anybody <laughs> else have to say on house on haunted hill <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's right we were talking about <laughs> I can't say we strayed from the topic because no? uh, Vincent no? Price is in the Tingler, so there. Yeah. Nothing else about House on Haunted Hill. Um, it was cool because it was short. Yeah, it's very short. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's an awesome movie to show at Halloween time to watch. So, yeah. so Terry, Terry, you picked a good one for your film festival things because that's it's an excellent one for. This time of year. Black and white horror nights. Yes. I love the score in it. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that theremin, you know. Anytime you have the theremin, man, I'm I'm there. They need to bring that back in horror films. 
No? The only one? Okay. So, what else we got? House of Wax. More houses. Yeah. More houses. It's it's funny. Um, on Vincent Price's trivia, I think it said something like he's got he's got six different movies with the word house in the title. <laughs> so, so House of Wax from it's important that we share the year on this one because there's three different House of Wax movies. So I'm looking. 1950, 1953. Well, that is there should be another Anybody trivia uh, on uh, how many Vincent Price not face movies there are. Right. And I was thinking that like Fibes, he doesn't have a face. Yeah. yeah. Or is covered in makeup. Yeah, burned off faces. Turned into robots like Mike. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so since I sound like a robot right now, somebody synopsize House of Wax. Get him a dictionary or something. Gosh. What? It's Dustin's turn. Yeah, Dustin. He's been my turn for the House of Wax. Yeah. Oh, what do you want me to say about it? Like you want me to synopsize it? Oh, uh, it <laughs> it's about Vincent Price, who's totally in love with his wax figures, <laughs> <laughs> and he. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't like this one as much as the other ones, um, but he's totally in love with his wax figures, and he tries selling the wax house at the beginning of the movie, and it's not enough for his partner, so his partner decides to burn it down for the insurance money, and of course, you know, Vincent Price goes crazy because he feels like a lot of them, especially his. Marie Antoinette figure is, you know, it can never be replaced. And anyway, they all burn up and he, you know, barely escapes alive. And uh, he comes to, to make another house that is much more macabre, I guess you could say. And, and, and much, you know, featuring, uh, depicting scenes of death and... Then from there on out, you start to figure out that maybe his figurines aren't made of wax this time. They're made of humans. So. Oh, shit, what? But yeah, I, this one, I had a hard time enjoying it without Vincent Price on the screen. I felt like there was no supporting actors or actresses in this that carried it. And when he was off the screen, not acting, obviously, he was, it was just, I don't know, it was just... When the I, mute I was, guy was more compelling than some of the other ones? Yeah, yeah. That's not good, right? That is not a good sign. But I felt like when he was on it, his, I don't know, the way he speaks, his dictation, like, you know, like, he, it's just it's just perfect. I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. Because um, in this, I was trying to figure out if he did have an accent or if he didn't have an accent. But I just didn't care. Um, it just sound, you know, he just the way he sounded and the way he delivered his lines were just were just awesome. And like Terry said earlier, it might have been like from him being a stage actor at one time. But this this whole movie felt like it was a play, 
Um, yeah. <clears throat> and was this in 3D? I mean... Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what I was mm-hmm. going to ask. A lot of gags. Yeah. There yeah, was so many gags. gags. Mm-hmm. And back was... then, they weren't just as... Uh, you know, they were... They weren't as shy then as they are now, um, showing <laughs> showing their their 3D effect. So yeah, that got that, that took guy. me. Yeah, yeah, and the and the women dancing and sticking their butts in the camera, like that was hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, can you imagine back then in '53 seeing that in 3D? Man, <laughs> there's probably so many boners and popcorn buckets back then. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wish I'd have been back in the 50s. That'd have been so cool. Uh. <laughs> I'm reading here that it says it was House of Wax was actually the first color 3D feature film from a major American studio, too. Yep, from Warner Brothers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was also the first color film in stereophonic. Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so obviously there was a lot, I would assume, a lot of money put into the production of this one. Um, from the standpoint of the 3D, it being a color, a color film, um, you know, paying an extra attention to the sound technology. So, so yeah, so you didn't care for this one because it kind of felt like who gives a shit when Vincent Price is not on screen, right? That's exactly how I felt. Okay. (laughs) What about, (laughs) what about you, Jason? Um, I... I liked this movie because um, I'm a big Paris Hilton fan. And, oh wait, um, I like this movie because I I well I actually thought this was I, I really liked Vincent's performance in this. I thought it was kind of even more badass than any of the other ones that we'd watched. Like he was just like more blatant the bad guy. I don't know. Just I love the way he talked. Wheeling around in his little wheelchair. I don't know. I thought he was badass, but yeah, I suppose the the cops this time weren't. They didn't help that much. And then like, uh, there's the fight scene in the beginning uh, when they're burning down the place, and then at the end, there's both of those scenes have a chair throw, and both of them have a breaking through the banister. In them both, so the fight choreography was similar in both those scenes. Very stagey, though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Terry, did you see this one? I can't remember if you said you did. I did. Yes. And your thoughts? I really enjoyed this one. I I guess I wasn't paying much attention to the scenes without Vincent to (laughs) for it. I don't. I don't. I guess I didn't really. You were in notice. I, I was just so enthralled by his performance in this one. I thought it was great. Like that first the first sequence with him and the partner at the first house of wax before the fire yeah. and everything. Like just the way that oh, the way he talked to them, like the wax <laughs> figures and it was just Do you it, imagine it was it, you? So we were <laughs> No, oh. I hate dolls. Did you? Oh yeah, that's that? right. <laughs> but um, I don't. It was just he played it. It was very. He was very realistic about it. It wasn't overly campy about everything. Like 
he seemed like he was legitimately talking to them and yeah. and when the guy when the guy threatened any of them just the look that he got on his face like he was just completely taken aback at the thought of of getting rid of that place like he was I don't know. I just, I thought his performance, this was one of his favorite performances of the ones that I watched for this episode, I thought. And I, and I talked earlier about, like, his physicalities for, like, after he's injured and is the masked murderer or whatever. Or I guess that wasn't a mask. Spoiler alert. His real face <laughs> is his mask later on. Um, but the burnt face and mm-hmm. running around London or wherever they are, and the just I don't I loved it. I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, I'm with you. I definitely enjoyed it a lot too. I mean, you know, I think with like any Vincent Price movie, the redeeming quality is the man himself definitely. and the performance that he gives and. It's like I said about like with the Tingler too, man. And no matter what he's given, he puts his all into it and he sells it. You know, he's not just there to pick up a paycheck. And he's like, "Oh, I have to do another movie where my face has been burned off, and this time I'm in love with wax figures or whatever." And all right, well, let's do it. You know, and like, no, he he freaking sells it. He he buys into it and he gets you to buy into it too. And it's. It's just great watching the man work. It's it's very, very awesome. Uh, this movie is also famous for um, it being Charles Bronson's first screen appearance mm-hmm. as Igor. Yeah. The mute assistant guy. And I was looking, I didn't realize too, that um, Carolyn Jones, who played Morticia Adams from the Adams Family, uh, was in this movie, movie. Played Kathy Gray. I didn't realize that was her. That's the blonde. Cool. I don't remember, but Kathy played Kathy in the movie. I think uh, that, that was first the blonde. kill, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. That's cool. Yeah. Now that you say that, like her face. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You do remember every curve and wrinkle and. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. The one that became Joan of Arc in the mm-hmm. Palace of Wax. Huh. Yeah, he was so badass in that. He's just like, guys, I'm starting in this fucking museum shit, and it's going to be about violence, and you're just going to have to like it. Oh, yeah, and I need some money, so give me some money, and I'm going to do some shit. And everyone's just like, this is cool. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't... One thing that bothered me is I don't know why they didn't question, like, when he put, he had the, like that local recent death of his partner or whatever, mm-hmm. and he put that in the exhibit. But there was nothing else like that. Mm-hmm. Why did no one question why he immortalized that particular local murder? I mean, he sold them too. I I guess I just <laughs> is that good. <laughs> People were like back then, fucking. They didn't care. Like wax figures. Oh my god, that was, that was their entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> what else they have in the fifties? Nothing. Yeah. 
<laughs> gas lamps on the goddamn wall, burning down houses. Yeah, what shit. the fuck? But I mean, this was the time frame that it was set in was obviously not. Yeah, I was gonna say it was early. The time set of the movie was earlier than that, and I just want to know too why was that always the thing back in like the the thirties, forties, and fifties that all your genre pictures were period pieces as well. Like very, it seemed like very few films back in those days were um were, well, those were in days. the modern yeah set in the modern days. <laughs> like it, mm-hmm. well, even Doctor Fibes that 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 movie takes place in the twenties. If you go and are paying attention to when they um they go to uh, Fibes's grave to you know to see if he actually was dead or not, um to dig up his ashes or whatever or in the tomb. Um, it has his um, date of death as like 1921, I think it was, or something like that. Uh. Hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's in the 20s, though. Right? Well, the, the storyline in the movie it takes place, um, I think, like three or four years after his supposed death. Okay. okay. Yeah. Which would explain the cars they drive around in in the movie. Right. They're very turn-of-the-century style cars, those old Model Ts or whatever they're called. So, yeah. So, yeah, House of the Wax. Not my favorite Vincent Price movie, but still really awesome. Yeah. I think I'm with Dustin a little bit. You know, it's 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 it definitely is about him being on screen, and you kind of do have a tendency to drift off when he's not, so... It's not like Fives where, you know, the the police characters are just as entertaining as the moments when Price is on screen, so. Anything about, anything else about House of Wax? Cool, alright. Well, I think, is there any other movies you guys want to talk about? I think we're kind of hitting um, to a decent time frame to start to move on to segments. I'd like to say um, just real quick that I watched Madhouse, and I just, uh, which was on Netflix, and it's really yeah. good too. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I, I know we didn't that like wasn't like on the list of movies, but it was oh, just it, it, it was on the list. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, it was just really, it was just really cool. Um, you know. That one is kind of he kind of played his own himself in that movie yeah, as like yep. a, a, a a guy playing Doctor Doctor Death. Death. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Death. And, and you know, should know that because they only say it like five hundred times. <laughs> I was saying the movie should have been called Doctor <laughs> Death. Uh, it was really cool because he's you know he was kind of playing himself and and there was some pretty good gore in that you know uh, heads mm-hmm. being chopped off and stuff and. Um, it was just an interesting, uh, concept, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was decent. Um, I think it was probably just a little bit better of House, House of Wax. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, that one was pretty cool. I think if, if you know, if you guys haven't seen that one, I would, I would definitely check it out for sure. Yeah, definitely check it out. It's like you said, it's on Netflix. I enjoyed it too, and I don't mind getting into it. A little bit. I was kind of, I kind of was going to come back to it um, uh, because I did watch it for this episode. And that one, that one's from 1974. It's 
and it, it gets a little on the on the weird side at times like what is really going on and it's and it's kind of a who done it and it's, it's a interesting big whodunit, yeah yeah and it's cool because oh my god okay all right okay okay i gotta come back to that i gotta save that i gotta stay on stay on course here but the movie is about vincent price who's this uh he plays a guy that is famously known for being a horror movie actor and specifically a character by the name of dr death and there's been several dr death movies apparently and um he's having some kind of party at the beginning i can't remember what the party was for it's almost like a premiere of his latest dr death movie I think mm-hmm. so, but he also announces his engagement to his much younger than him fiance, mm-hmm. and they get in a fight uh, during the um, during the party. He basically calls her. If this movie was made today, he, he would have called her a dumb slut um, because that's basically what he said. He said to her, but in a far more Vincent Price sophisticated manner. So not in those those words, but something something about her being in adult films or something like that, and that set him off. And so, and so he goes to sulk, and she goes to sulk, and he falls asleep, and he wakes up, and his doctor death gloves are sitting next to him in bed, and he goes to check on his wife, and her head falls off. She's been killed, and everybody thinks he did it, and he believes that he did it. He just doesn't remember it, um, and and now his like career is ruined, and. Did he even get arrested for it? I can't remember. I think he was in a. He went to the crazy house, pretty much. Went to the psychiatric hospital for a number of years. He gets out, and immediately they want to pull. uh, There's a there's a studio a producer that wants to bring him out of retirement and start making Doctor Death movies again. He's reluctant. He's to the point now that his own movies scare him because he feels like Doctor Death is real. That it's this schizophrenic persona of him that he has managed to subdue and uh if and he's worried that uh reliving these movies are going to bring it back out which does start to happen so he starts making these dr death movies again and people start dying again um many many deaths now at this time and it's it's just so crazy because everybody points fingers straight at vincent price including himself and yet, he's never arrested. He's never thrown in jail. Um, he's he is taken to an interrogation once, and it's of his own free will. They don't cuff him or anything. He's just like well, they talk, he talks about that though. I mean, he's you know. He's a suspect. Yes, they can't keep him because there are so many other suspects. Like, because they're. It's just, and they, they, they do a pretty good job of, like, trying to trick you on who it is. Of course, it's pretty obvious from the beginning on who it is, but the, they... Oh, wait a minute. Did you pick up on who the actual killer was right, right away? away? Right away. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. I mean, just because if you look at... Uh, this one wasn't too hard with credits that were popping up, and, and just, you know, who was in the movie and how much screen time <laughs> they got. I felt like it was, it was pretty simple. Well, um, yeah, there's that. Yeah, that makes sense. I I wouldn't have got it back then, of course not. But this or if was... it or if it was a different actor playing that part, maybe. Yes, yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Okay. Spoiler alert. Oh, Peter Cushing is also <laughs> in this movie. Um, <laughs> anyway, but uh, um, 
Yeah, but but that interrogation scene like happens after the first murder in the modern time. It happens after the first murder. And then there's several more murders that happen that all have connections to Vincent Price's character, and he's never really even questioned ever again, even though the police thinks he's done it, and, like, I don't know. It just kind of seems like if this was reality, it would, things would have been handled yeah. a lot better. It's not perfect. It's fun. It's a fun no. watch for sure. There's another There's another moment with the <coughs> with the couple that has his um, stopwatch and are blackmailing him over his stopwatch. You remember those guys? Yes. Well, at one point, they lose the stopwatch, and Dr. Death finds it, and it's it's such a surreal, bizarre scene. I couldn't quite figure out exactly what was going on, because you see it's like very jallo POV killer shot of reaching down, picking up the... the, um the pocket watch and then it cuts to the couple and then they notice the pocket watch off in the distance they go running towards and it shows the pocket watch in the same position as what we saw the guy holding it which is he's just dangling up in front of his face in the air but it's in the extreme foreground so you really can't make out if somebody's still holding it or not so they go running up to it and then all of a sudden it's gone again and they kind of like follow whatever into the house and there is blatantly obviously dr death standing at the top of the stairs dangling this pocket watch and instead of being like oh fuck let's get the hell out of here because they (laughs) this couple also believes that vincent price is this guy killing everybody they go up to get the pocket watch back from this guy who's dressed in all black wearing face makeup as a skull face (laughs) <laughs> and they they approach him as if like he's they're gonna get the pocket watch back and they're not gonna get killed. I I I was under the impression that they thought they were gonna get their money, not necessarily get their uh, pocket watch because they kept oh. holding it for ransom, and you know we're gonna blackmail him if they didn't if they didn't get the money. But yeah. I mean, there's a ton of really interesting characters in it. There's the the washed up actress lives in the basement of Peter Cushing's house. That was so cool. I like that a lot. She was awesome, and she had this like fascination of spiders. Yeah. (laughs) And her face was all deformed because she just has all these spiders, and they apparently give her little kisses or something. Well, no, she she was uh, talking about how. Oh, it's oh, about that- domestic abuse almost. Like she gets hit or something, and she goes off in a car and blows up. And oh yeah, she had a car accident. That's right. So that's why her face was all messed up, and she had to drop out of film. Yeah. 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 But she was crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was cool. I like to see that continued on for just them two. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. So, it, yeah, it's a cool movie. It's definitely a fun watch. It's pretty crazy and gets kind of wacky at times. Um, I I really had fun with it and enjoyed it. But I do want to bring up one thing. My favorite joke of the whole movie is right at the... Or I think right there at the very end where it's Vincent Price and the crazy spider lady and they sit down <laughs> to have dinner or something uh-huh. and she's like... And Vincent Price is like, what are we having? And she's like, we're having 
Um, we're having red herring. I thought that was hilarious. Red herring? Anybody? <laughs> Considering oh, the whole fish. the whole thing. <laughs> no. Oh. That like every character in this movie is is a red herring they, for the killer. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I'm done. <laughs> Jokes are funny. Mute. <laughs> <laughs> Click. Uh, all right. So yeah, so you enjoyed it too, then, Dustin? Yeah, I really liked it. I'm glad I watched it. Good. I'm glad you watched it too. Uh, that was the one. I'm like, uh, I'm worried I'm going to be the only one that ended up watching this one. So. <laughs> but I'm glad I watched it. And his skull face makeup was cool. Yeah, that was really cool. I like yeah. the Doctor Death makeup. Mm-hmm. Might be that for Halloween. Oh, <laughs> that's a great idea. Are you, you going to like, like shave your beard but leave the mustache too? No, oh, that'd be for cool, the whole yeah. makeup. That would be yeah. That's what I'm saying. Do it. He's <laughs> <laughs> more excited than you are. <laughs> Real excited. Well, I've seen what this man does for Halloween costumes. He puts everything into it. So I know if he's going to do Dr. Death, it's going to be legit looking. Yeah, I had to practice that makeup. Yeah. Okay, so anything else about uh, about Vincent Price we want to talk about? Icon. Definitely. Definitely an icon. One of the greats. I'd like to mention one... Uh, and actually a TV episode that he was on. If anybody is familiar with uh, Rod Serling's Night Gallery, did anybody ever watch that or watch any of the reruns on sci-fi? Or... I'm familiar with it, but I don't think I've ever watched it. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it's, 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 in the, it's from the early 70s, but it's you know still got that Twilight Zone-ish feel to it. Um, but it, but it, it's a great show. I've you know, every I think every episode that I've seen, I've I've loved. I mean, I don't think there's one that I haven't liked. But there's one from I believe season three. There was only three seasons of Night Gallery, and uh, in season three there was an episode with Vincent Price and Bill Bixby, um, and it was called Return of the Sorcerer, and it was it was a really cool episode, and it um, started off with a. Uh, with Bill Bixby visiting the house of, of the character of Vincent Price. And, and he was looking for somebody that could decipher this, um, this, uh, Arabic, uh, writing writings or whatever. And so he hires Bill Bixby. He comes in and he can decipher some of it. And you find out that Vincent Price was a sorcerer and his, the lady that lives with him, she she wants to be like a like a sorceress, and she's, I guess she's kind of intimidating, and she's she kind of wanted she kind of wants the power, she wants all the power, and you find out Vincent Price had a brother, a twin brother, that he had killed because so that he would have the power. Well, there was something that he wanted once deciphered in this thing to kind to kind of tell him. A little bit more about uh, the power of sorcery and stuff, and he gets the answer from Bill Bixby about halfway through the episode, and it's definitely not something he wants to hear. Um, but it's if if you catch the episode, I don't know if it's on YouTube or 
sometimes a lot of these night gallery episodes and twilight zone ones are, are on youtube but if you get a chance to check it out it's it's a really a neat a neat fun episode so and he and vincent price of course again does a great job in it so so night gallery season three return of the sorcerer if you get a chance to find it check it out cool all right cool. yeah it's a show i've never had a, an opportunity to sit down and watch any of the episodes of so. yeah and if you actually get actually it's also on uh if you own the first, complete first season of Night Gallery, it's put on there as a bonus story. They put some stories on there from like um, season two and three, just to kind of fill it out a little more because there's only like there's only a handful of episodes for uh, season one. So they threw some bonus episodes on there. So it is on bon- on season one. So you can find it there too. Sweet, sweet. Anybody else? Uh, one last thing I will say about Vincent Price that he's also cool because he um, not only did he do the Thriller uh, song, he did the little rap at the end of the Thriller song, but he also did some vocalization for Alice Cooper on his song Black Widow. So not out there because Alice Cooper's the man. So there we go. So Vincent Price. Yes. Yes. So with that said, um, let's take a break. When we come back, it'll be segments time. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. Do you find your life lacking meaning and purpose? Do you get up every morning and say, there's gotta be a better way? Are you a horror film fan and don't understand why your friends and family hasn't seen Necromantic? Do you know people who say that they love Jason from the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? Are you bored with your current podcast? Do you find yourself answering these questions out loud and getting weird looks from other people in your office? Well, now you never have to worry about those nasty stains again. Now you have a meaning to your boring, miserable life because now you can listen to... Attack of the Killer Podcast. That's right, Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast has all the vitamins and minerals for a well-balanced breakfast. On Attack of the Killer Podcast, you can marvel at the crew as they discuss various horror films, such as High Tension and High high Tension. Listen with your ear holes as the attackers pick a topic and then derail from that topic for at least an hour every episode. Be extremely disturbed as you learn the true love Insane Mike has for his Jason Goes to Hell DVD. But wait, there's more. The gang at Attack of the Killer Podcast give you their guarantee that every episode will contain at least two hours of in-depth horror discussion. Or at least until they get bored, which usually happens after about the first 30 minutes. Listen to what this satisfied customer has to say about Attack of the Killer Podcast. Who the hell are you? 
What are you doing in my bathroom? So don't wait. Follow the rest of the mindless sheep and listen to Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast can be heard at attackofthekillerpodcast.com or at stitcher.com. You can also follow Attack of the Killer Podcast on Facebook at Attack of the Killer Podcast or on Twitter at AOTKP. So act now. Offers limited. Operators are standing by. Blah, 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 blah. All right, welcome back to segments time here on Attack the Killer Podcast. <laughs> what? I meant to say it. I know. You mean every word. Every word I ever say. Um, let's see. Who should go first? Hmm. Yo, mama. Oh, <laughs> snap. So it's time for... <laughs> yo, mama, bye. Yo, mama. Take it away, yo, mama. Okay, let's do, um, <laughs> since Terry felt the need to insult my mother, um, let's do Wicked Words of Wear Tear first. doing another uh, Stephen King short story. Uh, yes. This <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, this time it is 1408. Um, originally this was released as part of an audiobook collection called Blood and Smoke. Um, and then he um, wrote it down and put it into his collection called Everything's Eventual uh, in 2002. Uh, the story was later adapted into the movie um, starring John Cusack, um, blanking on the year 2007. Um, and this is actually um, a fairly decent adaptation as far as the storyline goes. Um, they definitely take their liberties. I mean, the story is, is very short, so you have to add a little bit of something, add a little meat to the bones to make a full-length feature out of it. Um, a brief synopsis, um, you've got the main character is Mike Inslin. He um, is a nonfiction writer. He, he was writing all these uh, books about haunted places. They're, like, themed, like, Ten night, ten uh, graveyards, ten most haunted graveyards, ten most haunted castles, ten most haunted houses, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, he's working on his new book, The Ten Most Haunted Hotels. Um, and he goes to the Dolphin Hotel, um, where he has had someone, t someone has mentioned to him about this room 1408, which... If you add up the digits, it equals 13. <laughs> um, and the 1408 would be, in hotels, it would be on technically on the 13th floor. Um, so 13 and 13. Ooh, spooky. Um, but all joking aside, 
the short story is actually very, it's really terrifying. It's really atmospheric. Um, one thing that the movie does a really good job of capturing is just the mood of the story. They may add a bunch of other stuff that's not necessarily in the the short, but they really capture that essence. Um, and another great thing about the movie is John Cusack. He is a perfect depiction of this character. He is exactly how I would have pictured him. Um, the only thing that you get in the movie that you don't get in the short story is they really delve into um, Enslin's personal life. You get this whole backstory with his wife and his um, sick-slash-dead daughter, um, which you don't get at all in the short story. They really don't tell you anything about his personal life. You kind of just create those things with your own imagination. But overall, I mean, one of the things I thought was great, uh, the hotel manager who in the movie is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, he was a little different than I had originally imagined when I was reading the story, but really, he he brought that performance. I, I had seen the movie um, a while back, and I didn't really remember much about it. I didn't It didn't stick out to me as being fantastic. And I will admit, even watching through it this time, I thought it was way too drawn out. This movie is almost two hours long, and the story was seriously maybe 40 pages. I don't know why they just carried it on and on and on. There was so much stuff. I Personally, if I was making this movie, I would have cut the shit out of it. Um, but uh, I really, I, I, I actually really think it would, be, would have been more successful... Um, they really played up on the whole, you know, no one's ever lasted more than an hour in this hotel room. And then they have the alarm clock counting down an hour. I thought it would have been more success successful if they would have done more of a real-time scenario where the point where that alarm clock switches to 60 minutes, you actually have 60 minutes that he's still in the hotel room. But... And it was fairly close, I guess, but uh, I don't know. Um, one thing that the movie is definitely lacking, I would say, is subtlety, just in general. One of the more terrifying aspects of the short story is just there's so many things left that are unknown. Um, they uncover everything in the movie, you know, you have all these jump scares and all these, like, there's some crazy murderer ghost that just jumps out of nowhere and he's in the corner. And, oh, and there's just all these crazy, I mean, and it's great for suspense and it's really, it's great for watching a movie. But this short story is just, it's so much more subtle and it's more of a lingering terror, um, which I don't think they completely achieved in the movie. But overall, it's a pretty good adaptation. I, I appreciated the things they tried to do. There was definitely some straight-out references that were a little misplaced. I, I think one of the ones that really sticks out to me is um, there's this line about um, 
my brother was eaten by wolves or in something like that. I can't remember the exact line. Um, in the short story, that's something that he kind of mumbles on his tape recorder. Um, but in the movie, it's something that's written down randomly on a, a note page or something. I'm, it was kind of confusing. I'm not sure. I don't know if that was just like, oh, the short story people are going to love this. We got to throw this in there just because uh, it felt a lot like that, which, you know, whatever floats your boat. But decent adaptation. Uh, movie's a little long for my taste, but it was still, it's, it's still a great story. So recommend both of them. It's a, it's a fun story. Cool. Sweet. Thank you for that, Terry. Oh, man, we always start with shout-outs. We didn't this time. <laughs> so let's Terry do... got all snippy there or something. Yeah, she did. So let's get let's do some shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! All right, so today I asked on Facebook, said, what is your favorite Vincent Price film? And we had some responses. Our, um, our pal Jake Book says, haven't seen all there is to see by a long shot, but I really love The Last Man on Earth. Good answer, Jake. One of his best. Uh, Casey Bates says, The Tingler. You and John could be friends. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think that's how you have to say it too, right? The Tingler. No? Okay. Um, Martin Aaron Totten says House of Wax. Agreed. Um, Derek Johns says Edward Scissorhands. He's so good in that, guys. What a sweet dad. Right? Right. Thank you. Um, Justin Widerski says I'm personally fond of Madhouse. I haven't seen it in a few years, but from what I can remember, the entire film just has this weirdness to it that only increases as the film goes on until it climaxes, leaving you with a bewildered expression and uncertainty of what to do with yourself. <laughs> Does that sound right? <laughs> I don't know if it's that. Close. <laughs> see, I, I read his post there before you talked about it, so I'm like, okay, I can't wait to hear how crazy this gets. And then... <laughs> Oh, that was cool. Okay. Um, Jesse Robin says, Oh, that is an unfair question, LOL. Maybe House of Wax or House on Haunted Hill. Price was a genius. Agreed. And lastly, we have our buddy Sam Hayes. He says, Theater of Blood. Arguably his best performance. And goriest. And you get to see him in a groovy afro. Mike, why didn't we talk about Theater of Blood? Couldn't, couldn't find a copy of it. Oh, okay. Afro. Groovy Afro. I know, I know. <coughs> he also says, Tomb of Lygia. Gaia. Lygia. Lygia. I was right the first time. <laughs> and the Abominable Dr. Fibes 1 and 2. And Conqueror Worm. A.K.A. Witchfinder General. The Tingler, House of Wax, etc. I think Sam would just keep going if we let him 
<laughs> and that's all we have on Facebook. Uh, nothing on Twitter. But guys, guess what? We got a call in. <gasps> let's yeah, let's listen. Gentlemen and Terry, this is Lewayne White. Choosing one's favorite Vincent Price film is akin to choosing one's favorite child. However, I most often visit uh, House on Haunted Hill, The Tingler, and Last Man on Earth. But frankly, Price is always a treat in any of the Poe pictures. Thanks a lot. And thanks for calling in. And don't forget, guys, you can always call in at 415-952-6857. It's the same as 415-95-AOTKP. So call in, let us know what you think, leave comments. It's awesome to talk with you guys. That's for shout-outs. Shout-outs! Okay. Thank you, Jason. Word. Now, let's take a trip. A trip down <laughs> memory vein with John <laughs> Sullivan. He remembered. <laughs> Yay! Okay, everybody ready? Here we go. Urban legends. Every town has one. Whether it's an unknown creature that roams the local woods, or a restless spirit looking for revenge, we all have heard a frightening and supposedly true tale that has either kept us from venturing it out due to fear, or made us search out the story because of our curiosity of the unexplained. This week for Memory Vane, I want to take everyone on a trip. Back to a certain cemetery and urban legend in a town I grew up in. Wait, you see the sign? That's the graveyard up ahead. Follow me. We'll be quiet. We don't want to wake anyone. Or anything. Now, stay together, and be sure to shut the gate behind you as we visit the Devil's Chair. When I was in high school, October was an exciting month for everyone. In addition to all of the local clubs and organizations running their small-town fall festivals and haunted houses every weekend during the autumn season, there was something else that the kids always brought up and talked about heavily when Halloween was on the horizon. No, it wasn't an event. It was a local legend in our town that involved and centered on a certain structure in one of the local graveyards. According to the story... If you drove through the front gate towards the back part of the cemetery grounds, there you would find a gravestone that was strangely but unmistakably shaped in the form of a chair. And as it was talked about and discussed from class to class and student to student, it was commonly referred to as the devil's chair. Legend was that if you had the courage to sit in it, you would not live long enough to tell the tale. There was always talk in our school that this person had done it and died, or that person had done it and died. You know, the old girlfriend of the cousin of so-and-so's best friend routine. Time frames of the deaths varied as well. As stories ranged anywhere from people dying one year to even five years after testing out the legend, many of us remained skeptical. And as far as I know, no actual confirmed deaths due to an actual sitting were ever reported. But to this day, both the legend and gravestone still remain. Many times while I was in high school, I traveled to the cemetery with friends to view the chair 
and see who could scare each other the most. And while everyone always dared each other to sit in it, none of us ever did. Were we afraid? Probably. Would we ever admit it? Not in a graveyard's chance. It had been quite a while since I had last visited the cemetery, and when I went there about a year ago, there was a sign that had been added to the ground right in front of the gravestone, plainly stating the words, Keep Off. Of course, it was surely to keep the stone from being worn and damaged from curious local teenage legend trippers. Or, is there some truth to the legend after all? As the years go by and each class of students moves on, I'm sure the legend will continue to live and always entice and, and attract those who are looking for a scare. Oh yeah, and you're probably wondering, when I visited the stone a year ago, did I finally get up enough nerve to take the dare? Not in a graveyard's chance. And that is this week's edition of Memory Vane. Woo! Scary. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so it's Gore Games time. Woo. Let's have it. Gore Games! Okay, well, if you're one of our frequent listeners and you've been keeping tabs on what I've been doing for Gore Games, um, then you would know that John's next. Ow! So excited. But John, (laughs) (laughs) I looked and I did research, and I'm not talking like five minutes ago, I'm talking like like months ago. (laughs) I've been looking for a Children of the Corn video game. Board oh game, God. flash game, I can't find anything, John. Uh-huh. I can't find anything. Damn. So either we're going to have to make one, <laughs> or somebody who's listening is going to have to make one so you can play it. And I thought for sure I would find some kind of, you know, at least an old, like maybe an Atari game like I did with mm-hmm. the Texas Chainsaw. Nope. And I thought, well, there's got to be, you know, the Parker Brothers, Mattel or whatever, came through and pulled together a, a, a board game, even though it's so <laughs> sinister to have a board game or something. But no, they, nobody has ever done it. Nobody's ever done it. And I got really excited when I thought I maybe found, like, a Flash game somebody had put, you know, up on the internet, but it was Children Inside of the Corn, and it was a maze game, and it was completely unrelated to Children of the Corn. (laughs) I thought I had had something. I was really excited. But, man, they just don't make anything. So, John, I'm sorry. I don't have a video game for you, but when as soon as they do, I'm going to let you know right away, and hopefully you will play it. But I will talk about something um, because I don't, I didn't have a game for John. Um, a game that's going to come out uh, in January of next year called Dying Light. Um, if you haven't heard about this game, it seems like it's going to be pretty badass. Um, for all our listeners, awesome. yeah, it's going to be awesome. Do we have any listeners who are free runners? Um, for those of you who don't know what free running is, parkour. Uh, you know, where you're jumping up on, you know, building structures, pouring Parkour. yourself up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, getting to places that you normally couldn't get to. 
um, you know, you're using your, your legs, your arms, you know, you're not using a ladder or anything, just, you know, jumping off of high structures over to, you know, one building from another. It's really cool, and people really do do it, and it's really neat. But what they've done with this game is incorporated it into a, uh, a living city of zombies. And you're a character that, uh, you know, from what I understand, trying to get from point A to point B before night comes, um, you know, you, you, it, 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 the game looks really cool. Um, from, you know, like I said, it, it shows you for, you know, walking on, uh, you know, walls to, uh, you know, running up walls on, on roofs and, and jumping from one roof from another, avoiding zombies during the day. But when it turns night, the zombies get intense and to the point where it's not as easy to get around as it would be during the daytime um you know it's it heavily focuses on the free running mechanics for this game um so that's gonna be you know basically running away from zombies which is is pretty neat uh, because you know a lot of the zombie games today is either it has you um, you know sneaking around being stealthy which I from what I understand you have to do in the nighttime but this seems like it has two gameplay mechanics you know one for the one for the day and one for the night um, what I thought was really interesting um, that I had found out uh, dying light started out to be the Dead Island sequel for those of you who don't know Dead Island look up the Dead Island trailer it's the best video game trailer you will ever see I've seen it it's awesome it is beautiful um, the dying light found that um, it was too it was too different from the Dead Island series and just kind of pulled away from it and started to make their own game and there was some whole all kinds of other bullshit about that maybe that they weren't agreeing on with the other team teams that were involved with the Dead Island so they went off to make this this Dying Light it's from WB Games now for those of you who are gamers for WB Games this is a good thing because if you've ever played um, Batman. Uh, Arkham Asylum or Arkham City or those games, uh, those are made by WB Games, and those are good games. So <laughs> I think we're probably going to get a really good one. Like I said, I'm kind of jumping the gun on – I'm not reviewing this. I'm just telling you guys about it because um, uh, it doesn't come out until January of uh, of next year for us so um it's gonna be a while it's gonna come out um you know for pc it's gonna come out for playstation 3 playstation 4 xbox 360 and xbone so i mean anybody's gonna get to play it um dying light that's the game and again john i'm so sorry <laughs> i couldn't find a children of the corn game but i will one day and we're like if we have to make it we'll make it so i'm just saying that's uh that's gore games everybody yeah. Yeah. And I, I have faith in you, Dustin. I know you'll find one. <laughs> I'll find something. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for Insane's Picks. <laughs> Hey everybody! Okay, so I got some bad news. What? Oh no! Don't say what you're gonna say. Damn it! All right. So that's the Saints' picks, everybody. <laughs> I can't. Okay. No. Um. Yeah, I'm done. I've tapped. 
tapped. I'm pretty sure I've tapped my um, something weird collection. Done. No oh, man. Oh. I'm pretty Finally. sure I've talked about them all. I'm still going back and and um, logging all of my Insane's picks, which has been a very long process. So just in case I haven't mentioned certain ones, I'm going to throw out the honorable mentions of the ones I own that I swear I've talked about in past episodes. But there's the Wizard of War. There's the Beast That Killed Women. Blood Freak. 2000 Maniacs. Taste of Blood. Something Weird. Death Curse of Tartu. And Sting of Death. And She Freak. Pretty sure I've done episode on those. Um, I just I'm still going back and checking. So, but that that draws a close to the something weird discussion until I buy more. So, <clears throat> what am I going to do now? Right. So I decided to dig deep, deep, deep back into the insane Mike film archives. And dust off an old crusty VHS that was a um, a long, long, painful process in tracking down this particular movie back in back in um, my high school days. You may not have heard this yet. Some little fun fact you may not know. I'm a George Romero fan, and my love for George Romero digs so deep. That I am fascinated with anybody who has was involved with Night of Living Dead and that whole Pittsburgh scene of filmmakers. So, what I'm going to talk about t- tonight is the 1991 film Heartstoppers, written and directed by John Russo, the co-writer of Night of Living Dead. Now, I first was familiar with Heartstoppers on a VHS tape that was that I had way back in the day called Tom Savini's Horror Effects, which was a little cheapy uh, shot on video interview that John Russo did one on one interview with Tom Savini, and it would show a lot of clips from um, of uh, behind the scenes of of the work that Savini has done, and clips from different movies that Savini's worked on. And oddly enough, um, a couple, a couple of John Russo films were mentioned in in this uh, little documentary, this little interview. One of them being Midnight, that Savini did a little work on, and and Heartstoppers. And Heartstoppers, they spent a lot of time talking about Heartstoppers. And I was a hu- I was hugely obsessed with Savini. I had to see every movie that he did makeup effects for, every movie he acted in, anything he ever directed, you, you name it. Anything that had Savini's name attached to it, I had to see it. And this was, this was the ultimate one to see, because not only did Savini do the effects work on it, but he also was one of the stars of the film. So I had to find this movie, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And that's because Russo had a hell of a time getting this movie distributed. Um, so I don't know when exactly it was filmed, but I was first familiar with it uh, on the on this uh, horror effects VHS tape, which um, came out I think about like eighty eight or eighty nine somewhere in there. I'm going to double-check that little factoid, make sure I'm right there. <clears throat> but 
Um, it finally got a VHS distribution like around nineteen, around nineteen ninety one on Tempe Video of all places, like the the last stop on the train of distribution, Tempe Video. So um, was fine. So finally, like after high school, was able to track this down via having to send away in snail mail uh, the um, an order for this movie from Tempe Video. Um, anyway, what is Heartstoppers? Well, it's a vampire film um, uh, with a very unique twist by Mr. Russo. I was always kind of fascinated with John Russo's writing because it's very, structurally, it's very off. He doesn't follow the, in my opinion, he doesn't follow the, um, the three-act structure very well. It's like he adds... 30 more acts to his scripts and his stories with with three or four more extra plots added into the mix. If you take a movie like Majorettes, the whole plot of the movie switches by the, by the third act and it doesn't make a lick of sense. It starts off as a slasher and then turns into like an action gun shoot 'em up movie by the end of the movie. But Heartstopper is um, a physician who is hung um, during the American Revolution for being a vampire, uh, ends up getting resurrected in modern time because after he is killed, they use all of the vampire um, mythology in order to bury him and keep him dead. But that ends up turning him into a, vampi a vampire and resurrects him in modern day. There's your John Russo twist on the whole vampire lore, that vampires um, exist... Only if they are killed, a human being is killed by the methods of killing a vampire. And that's what ends up bringing him back to life as a vampire. So he wakes up in modern times, crawls out of his grave. He is definitely confused on where he's at, you know, um, modern technology and all that. And also confused by his newfound condition of being a true vampire. <clears throat> so... The movie is probably way longer than it should be at uh, the 90-minute mark. It's because there's a lot of stuff that drags on. Oh, yeah, and there's a serial killer in this movie, too. So your main protagonist is this, um, is this vampire who's trying to deal with living as a vampire in modern times. And, and he's being hunted down by this cop, played by Tom Savini, um, this cop is hunting this vampire down because there's a serial killer that's killing people that killed his daughter, and all the serial killer murders are linked back to the vampire. Are you guys following me on this? Is this making any bit of sense? Mm -hmm. Totally. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm explaining the movie verbatim here, so... Um, so that, that's how much sense the whole movie makes. But the serial killer ends up tracking down the vampire and saying that he is a, he's a, a descendant of the vampire and he's basically being a copycat killer of the vampire. Like all of his all of his kills that he's doing is in tribute of his like great 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 uncle or whatever. Okay, so it's all crazy. It's all messed up. And then there's a love interest in there as well, which is played by Moon Unit Zappa. So how cool is that? 
You got to zap it into the mix as well. <laughs> so it's a it's a crazy film. Um, it does kind of drag in parts, but uh, if you definitely need to stick it out for the moments of Tom Savini playing a cop and those moments of like there's a lot of good gore in this movie uh there's several autopsy scenes with some of the greatest looking autopsy corpses on a table since uh since day of the dead and um a lot of great gore in the last half of the movie when tom savini's chasing down the vampire and he blows his takes his gun out and blows the vampire's arm off at one point and a lot of great blood bags with the vampire um, killing his victims and the serial killer killing his victims and so on. So it's not easy to find because, again, the distribution deals on this has been very poor over the years. It has been released on DVD. I have had a hard time finding it, but you can find it on Amazon. Uh, there was a version of it called Heartstoppers that released on DVD. Um, and but it's also known on DVD as Dark Carving, which has got a very gross cover. It's kind of a well, actually the cover is really horrible looking. It's a very bad um, collage of, of shots from the movie. But it's a shot. It's all the gore shots. So there's a shot of an autopsy corpse on a table, a um, couple corpses on the table. There's a, a shot of of the guy when he had a stake shoved in through his heart during the Revolutionary War. It's a shot of guts on a table. and Yeah, it looks like it, it's like a poor man's maybe faces of death or whatever, but it's this John Russo classic, Heartstoppers, with the title changed to Dark Carving. So, If you can find it, check it out. I enjoy it for the unique take on, on the vampire lore, on how they did the twist on what creates a vampire, is what we usually know as how to kill a vampire. So, thought that was unique, um, and it's also very fun to see Tom Savini as a cop. One thing I do want to also mention with this is uh, with on that video cassette, um, uh, the the Tom Savini interview documentary Horror Effects, and they're showing clips from this movie Heartstoppers, and it felt like I'm watching something that was unfinished. Like this is like in the middle of post-production and they haven't done things there's like a fight that takes place on a parking garage between the vampire and these these hoodlums these punks if you will and he picks up one of the punks and throws them through um, a car windshield um, that they didn't add the foley yet of a sound effect of a of a body going through glass so what you're hearing is the sound of a body going through candy glass. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, this is just because the movie's not done yet and, and they're going to fix all that in post. No, it's the same sound you, effects you get in the actual movie. There's no extra done. So so the movie definitely wears its budget on, and, and um, lack of uh, directing talent on its sleeve. But I still enjoy it. And again, I'm just I'm fascinated with all those guys that didn't hit it big as George did, like John Russo. And we'll watch anything that the man does. Even Santa Claus. I'll even watch that. So, But that's my pick for this episode, Heartstoppers. Yeah. Woo. 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 
So, this concludes another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Who has something they want to plug? It's the October season here, Halloween season. Um, and so we got lots going on. Who wants to go first? Uh, I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Black and White Horror Nights! Woo! All October at the Keokok Public Library, if you're in the area... Uh, every Wednesday night at 6, we'll be showing a classic black and white horror film. One of which which will be uh, House on Haunted Hill. Um, then I'm also doing a showing of prescribed films, Demonica, yeah. on October 17th. So that'll be awesome. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I had. Cool. Cool. Anybody else? Is it, isn't there supposed to be a Halloween edition of Everything Horrible coming out this year? There, yeah, there is. I think probably <laughs> when this gets aired, there it will be wrapping up, and hopefully it will be up soon. I like to have it out, you know, a little bit before Halloween, just you know, to get people in the Halloween spirit. So it's going to be an even longer one than last year because. You know, we've incorporated, you know, the video game aspect to the channel. So we're going to do kind of like what we did last year. If you've seen last year's episode, we're going to have the the good, the bad, and the ugly. I guess I'll say it. <laughs> John, what about you? Anything? Uh, still, everybody can go to childrenofthecornmovie.com. I'm still working on getting my podcast completed. I know it's been a long drawn out process guys i'm sorry i planned on having it done way before this um there's just some different different things i'm trying to get kind of squared away to have you know to make sure it's okay and it sounds good and all that so want to bring the best to everybody so you know and hope everybody listens once it's once i get it out and i'll let everybody know as soon as it is ready to be listened to excellent and then as far as prescribed films goes, uh, we still have showings of Demonica coming up, including on the 17th at the Keokuk Public Library. Wow, weird. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. That's tonight. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So as you're listening to this episode, get your butt to the Keokuk Public Library. <laughs> and also, Demonica will be playing at the um, Hot Springs Horror Film Festival in Hot Springs, Arkansas, on October 25th. So that'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. Part of that. That'll be fun. We had a blast at that festival last year when Collapse played, and we can't wait to get there this year with uh, Demonica as well. So, uh, Jason, you have anything to add? Nope. Okay. Cool. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed listening to us talk about Vincent Price as much as we've enjoyed talking about Vincent Price. Thanks, podcasters, for being on and and talking some Vincent Price. And definitely giving you guys some ideas out there what to watch this Halloween season. Definitely check out Abominable Dr. Fibes. That's obviously the uh, the number one consensus, I think, for this episode. So what's, that, what's that bad boy? Yeah. It's awesome. So... So until next time, have a good October, everybody, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks. 
Bye bye. Oh no, could this be the end of? Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attack of the Killer Podcast.